Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church to echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging. But first, do not forget to like and subscribe to the channel and support us on Patreon if you would like to support what we do here. If you don't, of course, don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll just keep trucking without you. Uh, but anyway, we are doing a fun live stream today with a group called Berean Holiness. Specifically, her name is Natalie. And what I want to tell you guys to do, because I know that there is a follower group with her there's a follower group with us uh if you guys have questions or comments we will be taking them toward the end of the show but put them in the live stream uh chat and put like a big capital q on there or whatever and i will start them we will get to them at the end so uh first off i did forget one important aspect of this show we got brian with us today what's up heretics Anyway, so I felt like I skipped that and it was wrong. So uh, I was too busy trying to remember everything else. Also, all of you guys who listened to our last two episodes, I apologize for my audio quality. I think we got it all sorted out. I switched computers and we had to figure out how to get the audio correct. So you hopefully you will not be hearing literally everything within a five mile radius of my office. So anyway, with that being said, uh, like I said, Put all your questions with a big Q or question, uh, and I will start them, and we will get to them at the end of the chat. So, Natalie, how are you doing today? Good, and it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. I am super excited to have you on. Uh, one of the things that's funny, Brian, of course, was the one who reached out to you recently to schedule this interview. And much to my shame, I think you and I talked like a year or like two ago, possibly even. And I was like, oh, yeah, we need to have it, have you on. And then and then we we didn't. So it slipped my mind. I will take that. I, I will take that fall for everyone. I'll fall on that sword. Um, but uh, we already have some people in the chat who are excited to talk to you. So, Natalie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what your Christian background is, uh, where you raised the church, just a little bit about who you are and why should people care about you? Yeah. So, like you said, my name is Natalie. Um, I grew up in the south of the United States, in the country, um, going to small, I guess you could say country churches. Um, but we were what you would call independent holiness Pentecostals, which is a lot I've found from talking to my IFB friends like independent fundamental Baptist, except Pentecostal, which takes it to a whole nother level. And in case you didn't know, the IFB are very worldly um, because I have heard rumors and you can confirm or deny that they will allow some makeup and some jewelry, which is just really compromising. Oh, so we're like a we're in crazy town now. Like we're more. I was raised IFB. I I can say it. Like IFB is crazy, but no, no, you win, Natalie. Congratulations. No, I actually, I have, I have, I do have a quick funny story that just popped into my head. Um, so I okay, so oh, man, um, mm, where do I even? It's hard, it's hard to even talk because I haven't given a, a framework yet. So let me just step back a moment and say that I have found something that I've come to term, um, for lack of a better term, because people don't usually talk about it across denominations, but something called hyper-fundamentalism. Um, and that is something that you know, I can share more when I talk about how brand holiness came to be, but I found out that there were lots and lots of groups that had behaviors very similar to mine. Um, and the behaviors that I've boiled it down to 
would be that I, I see a lot. First, you have the extra biblical requirements. You have authoritarianism. You have tribalism. Um, and you have elitism. And then sometimes I say legalism, but most people don't understand that word and there's debates about what it means. So I'll just skip that for now. But anyways, um, under the elitism and the tribalism, basically, if you broke all that down, um, part of what would be encompassed under those terms is the idea that you're the one true church, um, a very cult-like belief that we are we are the best God's got. That's a real phrase that's actually used. We're the cream of the crop. I've heard that. We're the best people in the world. I've heard that. Um, and so we have the idea that we are the only ones on our way to heaven. But being real um, progressive for our movement, there was a preacher who I remember getting up and letting us know that we were not actually the only ones saved because God was dealing with other groups and he was leading them into holiness, which meant into our, you know, little group. Um, anyways, all that to say, he said there were, there were Baptists that were coming into the light and coming into the truth. And long story short, it, it, of course it was independent fundamental Baptists, but we were so excited that Baptists, that big, big, big church denomination out in the world was, they were, they were coming into the truth of holiness. Which really, it just means that they became more Pentecostal, but stayed the same. <laughs> yeah, and they did. I mean, they were just they were just independent fundamental Baptists that wore skirts and were pretty authoritarian and kind of like us. Um, but to us, that just meant that like the Southern Baptists were coming into our movement, but really it was just IFB. <laughs> no, they were. So. <laughs> well, to be fair, both the IFB and some of the Pentecostal holiness churches are quite loud in their services um, with yelling and stuff. So maybe that helps get you into the kingdom. I'm not exactly sure. I will just say there was a guy at Temple Baptist where I went to when I went to Crown uh, and all that IFP college. There was a guy we call him Praise God Guy because there's no other word for him. And suddenly he would just he'd stand like halfway up and go Praise God in the middle of a like a servant and like it would always come out of nowhere. And uh, he sat in like section like nine something like that. And I remember sitting in front of him not knowing that it was that guy. And when it happened. I thought it was the rapture, you know, like, I was like <laughs> it's, I'm going up now. It was just like right in my ear. Anyway, it scared the snot out of me. There's no way I could make it at a Pentecostal church because that amount of loudness about killed me. So anyway. So anyways, Natalie, you grew up in the Pentecostal holiness yeah. church. Yeah, that was my holiness heritage. Um, we would have bragged about, you know, being third generation, this kind of thing. Um, definitely was super into it. When I was a kid, it was all that I knew. And into my preteens, I was still very into it. Um, and then from, from there, some things started changing. But that goes into my story about how I ended up out. Gotcha. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a minute. One thing I wanted to ask you, too, when you uh, were watching my episode about Pastor Brent Markey, um, I think I, I forget exactly the date. I think I said 1863 was maybe when the Pentecostal Holy, Holiness movement started and you said I was being generous. What what date would you would you give their movement? There's no way. I, I don't know where you heard 1863. I'm sure it meant something. Um, <laughs> but there's no way it was independent 
holiness Pentecostalism. And the reason why I know is because there was no such thing as Pentecostalism in 1863 because Pentecostalism comes with the unique belief. Um, I mean, there's a lot that has to happen. Okay. So let me just give the nutshell history. The, the very summarized as I can make it, there were, first you have John Wesley. He has perfection. He comes up with the idea that Christians can be perfect, but it's a very long, it's a long-term perfection. Phoebe Palmer comes around in the 1800s and she's like, no, I talked to God and the devil. If you read her book, it's literally her talking to God and the devil. It's, it's really weird. Um, but God let her know, and apparently the devil didn't convince her otherwise, that you could actually be perfect instantaneously. So that's instantaneous oh. sanctification. And then other people come around, um, John Fletcher, and I think that's where it started with. Anyways, they started to think that if if we're becoming perfect, then that must be the spirit indwelling us. Um, so you started to, it split into two separate works of grace. And then some people were calling the second work of grace, um, like a spirit baptism or the spirit infilling. Uh, they called it the baptism of love, all this stuff. But a man named um, Parham, Charles Parham came along. And I think he got this idea from the Irvingites, which were another group in England that they just kind of started up and they died and they were crazy. And that's a whole nother story. But I think he, he might've got this idea from them, but he was the one that really published it and popularized it, which was, um, no, the second work, you actually have to speak in tongues. Um, and then that is when you receive the spirit. So because he came up, because he was trying to push this doctrine of a second work, of course, who would buy into it in America? It's the holiness people who are the most vulnerable to it because they already had this concept of two works. Um, they did not have what we would call initial evidence. Uh, it was instantaneous sanctification. It was the perfectionism. It was all these other things. It was labeled. But Parham was able to go to the holiness Bible school kids and say, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. This, you have to speak in tongues. You don't actually have the spirit. You have, um, and he made up, so they already thought they had a second work. So in order to sell them on his second work, he had to convince them they had a different second work. Um, so he convinced them that it was the anointing that abideth. And then they're like, okay, so we got that work. Now we want your work. And so then they spoke in tongues and they're like, okay, now we have the real spirit baptism. Um, and then the anointing that abideth work just dropped off the map. But anyways, all that had to say, all this mess didn't happen until the early 1900s. So in the 1860s, you did have like second work perfectionism, but there was no such thing as Pentecostalism. That was a jumbled mess, but hopefully it made some sense. No, no, I actually think you did a good job. It was always difficult summarizing history, especially yeah. of complicated denominations. But that's actually interesting that that was the linchpin that that was able to kind of get get used in there. Now, I always wonder when people like, because uh, I actually talked to an Assembly of God's uh, minister recently, and one of the things that he said was that the speaking of tongues is like the first man or is like proof. No, the first manifestation of the spirit was what he put it. And my instant thought was, does no one read Paul? Because even if you take Paul to not be like, I think the tongues is like known languages. I don't think it's like a heavenly, like gibberish, so to speak, which I know is probably a very disrespectful term to use for people who think otherwise. But that's the only word that comes to mind. But 
when it comes to like that concept, like, do you not read Paul where he even is like, hey, let's not make a big deal of our tongues. Like, let's say that let's give let's grant for the sake of argument that interpretation of tongues. But even he is like, if there's no love, you know, love, there's none of these things like stop focusing on tongues because and it's even in the context of different people have different gifts so if nothing else even if we grant for the sake of argument what tongues is tongues is only would only be a gift which means that not everyone has it because everyone's gifted differently does you know what i'm saying so I, i'm sorry that's probably a little random tangent but it's just something that really gets under my skin where i'm like do, do we not read contacts at all anymore like anyhow yeah in order for us to say that every single believer needs to speak in tongues we had to say there are two different type of tongues, um, that there's the gift of tongues and then there's the initial evidence tongues. Obviously, I'm just like, personally, I, I, yeah, and I actually, I stayed Pentecostal for a few more years after I'd always already left the holiness uh, standard beliefs go because Pentecostal, it's just, it's just a little bit, there's just enough verses in the Bible that we're not sure if we understand um, to make it more difficult to really disentangle and hammer out our beliefs on. And so I did take longer, but ultimately I'm just like, there's, there's not two types of tongues. We had to read that into the Bible. Um, and it was really studying the history of Pentecostalism when I saw them conveniently making up new doctrines um, in order to fit their experiences. The, the same doctrines that it just so happens we have a really hard time defending from scripture that I was like, I think I need to rethink this. Um, so I would be a, I would still be a continuationalist. Um, but I'm yeah, the whole, yeah, they were mm, I'm trying not to give away all my Pentecostal beliefs. Cause I, 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 I have a lot more respect for Pentecostalism. Um, in general, because that's it's just a huge, huge movement across Christendom. I, I can respect that a lot more than hyper-fundamentalism, which is this culty subsect. Um, lots of them, actually. So I, I try agree. not to make all the Pentecostals mad, but because um, <laughs> I do appreciate them a lot. But yeah, I know languages all the way. I'll just I'll say that. Yeah, well, I mean, for the Pentecostal listeners who might be less, because, you know, your your ministry is Berean holiness. So you reach out to people mostly from like these hyper fundamentalist Pentecostal roots. Um, and we'll talk more about your ministry here soon. But one of the things that you you said that kind of stuck out to me, well, actually, I should first say, if you are Pentecostal, just know this, we are very big on escaping the echo chamber on this channel. So one of the things that we like to do if you're new here is that we believe in what we call like intellectual toughness, which is I can hear ideas I disagree with and still love you and still engage with you and still like lock arms with you in the name of Jesus Christ. We're very big on that idea of unity and diversity here. And we also believe that, you know, it's okay to change your positions and change your minds and speak honestly about what you think about certain beliefs in Christianity without f attacking the person. You can attack a belief. And so ideas and people, they are different, even though our, our beliefs are personal, we shouldn't be taking attacks against our beliefs personally, if that makes sense. We should actually just be welcome to challenge. And But one of the things you said that stuck out to me was how when people start changing the scripture to fit their... Um, to fit their like agenda, so to speak, or their their lived experience, like like well, once you start twisting to meet your experience, 
that's what we see happen in like other groups that we chide, right? Like progressive groups, like, you know, LGBT trying to like, well, this is my experience. So I have to find a way to make the Bible fit my experience. And as soon as you start doing that, you're in dangerous territory. And one of the things I commend you for is the fact that you went back in history and said, how did this stuff begin? Where did it start? And once you start seeing where it starts and you go, okay, then I need to abandon some of these beliefs because I regularly say on the channel, if you're starting to bring in brand new beliefs into the church that have never been believed before, you're in very dicey territory because it's been around for 2000 years. We had the apostles. We have a lot of writings of the early church. And yes, they, there were things that were debated, but there are certain things that are like that's brand new 1800 years down the line. You probably it's probably false. It's probably probably false. Doesn't mean it always is false, but most likely false. And so anyway, with that, with that said, I know you're raised, I know you're raised in it so, and you're inculcated around it. That sounds like it was very much your culture. Now, as far as like, cause you'd mentioned, obviously you guys couldn't wear like makeup. There are certain things that you guys weren't allowed to do for, and now in the IFB, it was much harder on women to be part of the group than for men, because men were like kind of given this authoritarian idea. So there was a strong, like sexist, like split down the middle and whether you're complementarian or not ifb is not complementarian i i say all the time they're like a, a very extreme patriarchal view as opposed to a complementary view and then of course you have full-on egalitarianism way over here so it's different like levels was that similar like that for you in the pentecostal holiness movement yeah, I would say no um, for for a few reasons. And I think that has has a little bit to do with our history, because, for example, I mentioned that Phoebe Palmer um, was the one who you know pioneered that original second work doctrine in the 1800s. Um, she would have been, of course, she was a woman and she wouldn't have been a pastor. Um, I don't even know that she called herself a preacher, but she spoke at 300 meetings. And I mean, she's the one that pioneered these ideas. So we had a lot of um, women in holiness back in the day, and we had a lot of the Pentecostalism. Um, you think of Amy McPherson, and uh, I might get some of the names wrong if I keep trying to name them. But there's a lot of women in early Pentecostalism, too. Um, and actually, it's it's ironic. Uh, the women's holiness women back in the day, and just the holiness movement in its primitive form back in the day, um, we're very pro the women's rights movement, which is ironic because now we believe that pants are immoral because they have to do with the women's rights movement, which I've had to try to respectfully explain to people, you know, the holiness movement anyways. Um, yeah, but so it has changed. So it was it was pretty pro-woman back in the day. It has changed. Interestingly enough, I have heard that it has changed because of Baptists. That's what I've been told. And it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, for example, in my personal uh, family line going back, uh, they came into holiness from uh, a Baptist group. Um, and so I think some people have brought kind of more, a more, some, some people lean more towards like the independent fundamental Baptist patriarchy, but it's not that common. Um, and that might be why I don't make it a big theme of Brian holiness is because I haven't run into it too much. Um, and also I'm pretty solidly in the traditional, so not the IFB, but just the traditional complementarian, uh, camp myself. So 
yeah, I don't speak on it too much. No, that's fine. And the the re- only reason why I ask is because we do have an IFB audience that watches us. And I could see them being like, oh, is this a woman who didn't like the authoritarianism of of this sort of thing? So it's just important to note the distinctions between audiences here, between yours and mm-hmm. ours. Uh, that like just because there's a lot of similarities, there are places where they might diverge. And this is one of those. Because right when you mentioned in the history, you mentioned, uh, what would you say, Phoebe? Was that her? Was yeah, that Phoebe name? Palmer. Yeah, Phoebe Palmer. Like instantly in the Baptist world, I'm telling you right now, if you said that there was a like a woman that that was that prominent in our, our founding, it, like what I was thinking, <laughs> get out of here, you know that nonsense. So that's that. So the way they would they, they would react. Actually, women I think could write books in the Baptist world. That it was just usually geared toward women. In books uh, or cookbooks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably cookbooks. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> well, so, and I, I do want to be fair and just say that it is a lot harsher on women in certain churches and certain subsects because I have heard some horrendous stories um, that have happened within holiness movements. But I don't think it's the norm. Um, now we don't have women preachers. There are very few exceptions to that. Like there are like two women preachers, and everyone talks about them because they're like anomalies. Um, but yeah, in general, we don't have the same extreme, um, form of it that I've heard about in the IFB. That makes sense. Gotcha. Well, I think cool. we need a pretty good foundation. Um, so you have a post on your Facebook page. I think I, I read it on the, the episode about Pastor Brent. Um, but can you kind of explain what led you to leave the Pentecost, the independent Pentecostal holiness movement? And how did you end up? sleeping in a car first okay first off before you did he say it right was it or or was that all the right descriptors was that the right title they use all the right letters independent pentecostal Pentecostal holiness yeah yeah that's that that's close enough i mean we weren't a real denomination because denominations are evil um of course i'm being a little tongue no they're Um, man-made they're man-made institutions Yeah. Right. That's that's the idea, right? Like that's so, say the independent fundamental Baptist. Like, oh, yes, those are man-made institutions. We're not like that. And I'm like, meanwhile, you only associate with people like independent fundamental Baptists that agree with you. You're a denomination, bro. You just don't have the title. It's fine. And anyway. they don't have the structure. And I have a lot of comments about that that I will refrain from making. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was like getting excited for a minute. Anyway, yeah. How did you lead the holiness movement? And how did you end up sleeping in a car and all of that? Yeah, so um, I think the, the two things that originally caused me to leave the <laughs> I'm gonna I love the live stream, but I'm getting distracted reading comments now. But anyways, um, which is really we'll fun. Get distracted too. So <laughs> join the club. They have a swallow of us. I'll stop bringing them up. I'll stop pulling them up and let you just tell your story, and then I'll t- pull them up as we go later. Will's like okay. squirrel. Okay, so as far as holiness standards, changing my beliefs on those, um, the two things that caused that, I think, was one, Christian apologetics, and two, uh, trying to defend the holiness standards. So when I was a kid, holiness standards were the gospel to me. I was literally just would go up to someone who I thought was lost as a preteen, and I would start telling them about Jezebel um, and that they're going to go to hell like Jezebel because of their makeup because their makeup makes them like Jezebel and they need to stop wearing makeup and I look back on my memories of doing this and think like 
wow, I didn't understand the gospel. Like I literally just had a gospel of standards, a gospel of just, um, you know, change your outward appearance and you'll be holy, which is really sad. Um, and I don't think that's entirely the church's fault because the church, those churches would have your traditional gospel, but uh, the culture was more emphasizing holiness standards. So as a young person, my takeaway was to be holy, we do these holiness standards. So I was, but all that to say, I was very much into them. Um, and so when my brother went away to West Point, the military academy, um, he was around very solid Christian men and they did not um, follow all the holiness standards. And so that it gave him time away to really study and dig in. And he came to the point where he was, he had decided he was not, he didn't believe them. Um, but even before then, he was just sharing with me like, hey, Natalie, I'm studying, you know, this passage in Ezekiel 16. And I just don't see how jewelry is immoral when God figuratively decks his bride in jewelry um, and and so forth and so on. And so I panicked because I was very close to my brother and I didn't want him to die lost. So I did my very best to do a deep dive into holiness standards to try to convince him that you must follow them to be a Christian. And unfortunately, it was that deep dive into them using the best material I could get my hands on, the pamphlets, the websites, the everything I could find trying to prove to my brother, you have to follow holiness standards to be a Christian. Um, that made me realize you don't have to follow holiness standards to be a Christian. And that was, <laughs> that was a reality I was upset about. Like that was my heart sinking. Um, and I didn't know what to do with that. That was a very heavy weight to have on me as a round 14 year old. Um, and so I didn't know what to do except to push it out of my mind. But I did mention that the other thing that caused me to realize the holiness standards weren't true was Christian apologetics. So that was, um, I got really into uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, Reasonable Faith, his Defenders class, uh, J. Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity. I started reading all of that, listening to all that as a teenager. I loved it. Um, I really began to understand the gospel from that as well. Side note, um, the importance of the resurrection and so on and so forth. But um, what I learned from that was critical thinking skills. And I learned how to interpret scripture properly. I learned how to cross-reference. I learned how to, um, to some extent, go to, you know, interlinear Bible, look up word meanings, and honestly, just think, um, <laughs> just think. And when I took that same critical thinking that I learned um, when I was trying to, uh, prove the existence of God. And when I put that to trying to prove holiness standards, I, those, I, I learned too much about logical fallacies for the holiness arguments to make sense anymore. Um, yeah. So I, I credit Dr. William Lane Craig for being the one who ultimately got me out of holiness. And I did, I did get to meet him and talk to him about that. It was pretty awesome. First off, very jealous. Yeah, I was gonna say a little super jealous right now. Yeah, I like instantly knew that. It's like, oh, that stings. Like, it's fine. I'll probably never meet my one of my heroes. It's cool. Um, anyway, so it's actually funny. So you mentioned like 
when you he, your brother went through Ezekiel 16 and it's the and it's the jewelry thing for me it was the alcohol thing my first confrontation with the alcohol topic was i was at a friend of mine's thanksgiving my best friend in high school and his uh, grandpa was a pastor actually at a local non-denom in, t- in town and they bust out this really fancy bottle of wine started pouring a little glass for everybody and then they got to me and they poured it i was like 16 by the way and the pastor just like pours me wine and doesn't even care. And I was like, uh, I can't have that. He's like, oh, sure, you can. It's fine. Like, he was like, 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 that's cool. And I was like, uh, no. And then my buddy's like, dude, it's fine. That's like, it's like this much. Just have it. Enjoy yourself. Like this is this. We do this every year as a celebration and thanks to God, because they kind of like mix some of like the tradition, like Christian traditions and like Passover and stuff into it. A little bit was their mindset. And so I did it under pressure. And then I felt super guilty afterwards. And then I was like, because they kept like, dude, the Bible says just not to be drunk. It doesn't say anything about that. I was like, I'm going to prove them wrong because this is definitely wrong. And I went home and the more I studied it, the more I was like, oh, no. You know, that, it's that, that moment where you feel the ground fall from beneath you. I didn't find William Lane Craig until much later. I, I unfortunately found Ravi Zacharias. And uh, and I was like, oh, and, uh, you know, same thing of seeing the fallacies starting, like a lot of things started like making a lot more sense. I started understanding the gospel. And now, you know, all these years later, I find out, you know, one of my heroes is, you know, creepy behind the curtain. But that's a topic for another time on how to discern that. But Dr. David Wood with Acts 17 Apologetics actually has an amazing video on the Ravi situation from way back when. If you're interested, it's great. <laughs> Anyhow, so you that's what like that's when the seeds started planting, right? Like you started mm-hmm. getting through that William Lane Craig is a great place to start. Um now when when did it like you how did that transition go because usually in these types of hyper fundamentalist groups they operate very culty so eventually there's there is a leaving period and then there's usually a lot of drama that can take place when you leave and there's also this talk about you living in a car so can you talk a little bit about that for us yeah sure so so i originally i came to the point in my mid early teens that I knew that our holiness standards um, were not biblical. So what I decided to do with that is just tuck that knowledge away and go on with my life because I didn't want my whole world to be disrupted because that was my whole world. The holiness and Pentecostal movement, those were my best friends. Those were my decades long friends. That was my um, social circle. I was homeschooled and I, I love homeschooling. Um, but that meant, you know, like that even further meant that my church world was my world. Um, and of course my family that I was close to were all holiness, um, just on and on and on. And I didn't want to put that at risk. Um, not just for discomfort, but also because I genuinely love those people. And I, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that I genuinely loved the movement and I wanted us to go on to become super healthy, to win the world to Jesus, to help, um, you know, help the, the worldly Christians to be more devoted and this kind of thing, even if our standards weren't quite biblical. Um, I just, I saw a lot of potential. I saw a lot of missed potential and I, I really wanted to serve within that movement, um, and see it grow and become all that it could. So I decided to stay, I just kept my beliefs as a deep, dark secret. Um, really didn't tell anyone. If I did, I just kind of hinted at it. 
uh, if I thought they were safe. And then sometimes it was a game of like trying to draw information from each other. Like, do you know what I know? <laughs> um, but anyways, but I didn't, I don't remember any full conversations about my beliefs. Um, and I followed the standards. I towed the line. I went above and beyond the line. Um, I imposed a lot of extra strict standards on myself that the church did not impose on us. Um, and then I went to our Bible school that was the Bible school of our movement, the one that had been around for 50, 60 years. And I uh, went there and that was preparing me for holiness Pentecostal ministry. Um, <laughs> it was not accredited. So that was, you know, if you went there, it was to be part of the movement because the movement was the only movement that recognized that school. Um, I loved my time there. Um, yeah, I learned even more. They, we had some, some of our teachers um, pointed us to a better, either other resources that maybe were also outside of our group because our group was so small we didn't really write our own curriculum so any curriculum we used was from someone else so all that to say I got to I got to study and learn even more about systematic theology and ethics and I loved it I loved it um I loved getting to be around other people um and I was going to be a missionary so that was the plan um russia was on the horizon that was that is a whole another story um and i was very involved in ministry and even in my church i should mention you know youth choir pianist violinist um substitute sunday school teacher at the college i was the sunday school teacher my friends and i realized that we did not have outreach around the bible school um like local, we had no community or local outreach at the Bible school. All our ministry was going to holiness churches and basically raising money. I'm not knocking that, but that that's that's different than doing outreach. Um, so that we we started doing uh, kids outreach, started a um, well, it's supposed to be kids outreach because I had no idea how to do any outreach because we are not we did not do outreach in our church movement. It was it happens, but it's rare. Um, it's yeah. Anyways. So I didn't know how to do outreach. So I'm just like, well, really don't know what I'm doing. So I guess we'll just start an outreach for like five-year-olds. And so that's what my friends and I were able to get permission to do once a week. And teenagers showed up and they were all boys. So that is a whole other story, but it was, it was an awesome time of just doing ministry for years there. Um, it was pretty awesome. But all that to say, um, I, I was kind of split between do I want to continue doing American youth ministry or do I want to go to Russia? Things started to look more towards Europe and Russia. Um, yeah, there's a lot more there about me helping other churches and this kind of stuff. But anyways, I ended up in um, I did several mission trips, Philippines, South Korea, uh, I think others, I can't even remember everything right now. Um, all I'm, What I'm trying to paint a picture of is being very involved uh, in this movement up in, into my 20s and loving it, honestly. Um, really loved it. 
And so I had, I had no complaints. I was totally fine wearing jean skirts uh, almost to my ankles. I was totally fine wearing longer sleeves, um, not cutting my hair, not wearing makeup, not wearing any jewelry. That did not bother me whatsoever. Um, even though I knew those beliefs were not biblical requirements, they were just ours. And I just, I just lived in cognitive dissonance of, Yes, we have all these beliefs that aren't biblical, but we don't talk about it. And we just continue on as normal and share the gospel, which I was continuing to learn and understand better. I ended up in Albania serving there. And because there were not holiness missionaries there that I could work with, I worked with non-holiness missionaries. Um, God really started to open my eyes uh, in that other country because that was my first time just totally away from the movement for months at a time. Um, and I just, yeah, I saw that even in, in all their worldliness, quote unquote, they had such a better grasp of the gospel. Um, and I, I wanted that and I was getting hungrier and, and hungrier for a Bible focused church. I backpacked Europe, um, 14 or 15 countries. And everywhere I went, almost every country, I talked to a pastor. Um, some pastors, even them and their wives had me in their home and we would talk and we would, I would get to participate in their outreach. It was the most unique backpacking Europe ever. And I love it. And I'm so glad I did that. Um, yeah. But after, after that, after seeing church after church after church throughout Europe that I've been told were dead and dry and lost and worldly and seeing them vibrant with this community outreach that I was craving for our churches and um, just doing Bible studies. We didn't do Bible studies in our churches, uh, and which is so sad, um, at least not in the ones that I was familiar with. And to, to see these dead and dry churches just so hungry for the word and teaching the word and focusing on the word. I wanted that more and more. So there was a holy discontentment, I think, um, changing, just forming in me and changing me. So I went back to the States um, and I ended up interning at a holiness Pentecostal church for my uh, bachelor's. It was the end of my bachelor's, um, which I was getting through. I was anyways, I got to transfer some credits to another, a different, a non-Pentecostal holiness school, which is a whole other story that there's non-Pentecostal holiness. And anyways, but I was finishing that bachelor's, which was in Christian counseling and interning at a holiness Pentecostal church. Um, they were very good to me. And they'll, <laughs> I just, anyways, um, it, they were, it was, it was good. Um, I was living there at the church while I was working for them. I worked for about three and a half months there. Very friendly people, kind. Um, they did do outreach because it was an outreach church. Um, it's interesting how that ended up happening in our movement. It's like the churches that do outreach, they end up quarantining themselves or I don't even know how it happens. They end up being an outreach church. So we have like our normal churches and our outreach churches. But anyways, I ended up at one of the few anomaly outreach churches, which was everything was going great. Um, but I had a personal situation in my life at the time that really, really shook me to the core and had me reevaluating my whole life. I had someone tell me that they never had loved me. 
they only loved who they thought I was. And that, in the emotional state that I was in, uh, sent me really deep into my thoughts. And I looked at this whole beautiful world that I had of people that I felt like loved me and that had taken me in, that had told me, you know, we'll be parents to you, we'll always be here for you. Um, all these connections that I had, all these friends that I had in my holiness world. And I thought about that deep, dark secret I had that I didn't believe our holiness standards were biblical. And as much as I was willing to live by the holiness standards, I just started wondering, do these people really love me or do they only love who they think I am? Why am I so scared to tell them that I don't think the standards are biblical. And so that just ate at me until I felt that cognitive dissonance grew so strong and it started to just, I felt fake. I felt so fake. And so finally I decided, okay, if these people, if, if, I, if I tell them, hey, this is my belief and they accept me, then praise God, I get to stay and I know, like, my world is real. But, you know, if if I just, I got to the point where the risk was worth it because I couldn't stand living in cognitive dissonance any longer. I couldn't stand feeling fake. So um, I only went originally to authorities. Um, it was one-on-one. -on -one. It was supposed to be confidential and private and explained to them, in, in very summarized fashion that, hey, I just want to be transparent with you. Um, and I want to I want to know what you believe about where the holiness standards fall as far as importance. And, you know, uh, doctrinally, are they first here? Are they secondary issues? Um, are they salvation requirements? And I want to let you know that being the holiness leaders that to me, they are not salvation requirements. I do believe that there are Christians outside of our movement. I do not believe that you have to follow our standards of no makeup, no jewelry, no pants to be a Christian. Um, and, but I'm happy to still follow the standards, but I want you to know what I believe. So anyways, I had that conversation with just a small handful of people that seemed very relevant. And... I was given um, a, a week and a half initially to be out of where I was living, which was the internship. The internship was terminated um, and my professor was called and told some terrible stuff that anyways, um, I'm not even sure what all was said because I wasn't on that phone conversation. But I am super grateful to that non-Pentecostal holiness professor because he'd seen this stuff happen before. Um, and he was able to see through it. But anyways, yeah, all of a sudden I was just out. Uh, they did, I'll, I'll give them credit, they extended it so I could stay there, I think, two weeks. But when you just come off, when you're a Bible school student that went to the mission field that has been doing an internship, even my little like side part-time Mardell, I looking at rent, I couldn't even pay rent, you know, forget find an apartment in two weeks. So yeah, that did end up with me living in my car. Um, and when I tell this story, sometimes people will be very mad and I've had people upset and reach out and, 
you're slandering them and all this kind of stuff. I'm not even give, making a judgment call. I'm not even calling their behavior this, that, or the other. I'm just saying that, that's what happened. This is part of my story. Yes, they had a right to immediately terminate my internship. Yes, they had a right to tell me to move out within uh, a week and a half, two weeks. Um, but for me, that's still, you know, their, their rights all considered and all, yes, they were so good to me before that happened. Um, all that considered, it still <laughs> ended up with me living in my car. Um, and just there were some strangers that basically I, I just happened to cross paths with. Some of them were Baptists. Um, some of them I confided in, even they were they were total strangers and just be like, yeah, yes, I am sleeping in my car. Um, and some of them said, OK, well, come stay at our house. And just total strangers that I had just met um, ended up staying at their homes. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of sleeping in my car and then staying with random people for two and a half, not quite three months. Um, and it was an experience. It took me about that long to be able to get a job, get money, get settled in a different place. Um, and, and then it's funny. So I still couldn't pay normal rent at the time. Um, so what I ended up doing is this is the only time in my life I have ever gone on Craigslist. I went on Craigslist, only ad I have ever responded to, a Craigslist ad for someone in the boondocks of Colorado living in a trailer, had a room to rent in their trailer. <laughs> and I took it because that's what I could afford. So it was great. And God taught me a lot through that experience. Um, but I think the best thing that happened is that it got me out of the movement because I if that had not happened, I don't I don't know that I ever would have left. Wow. That wow. is wild. We uh Micah Kilmer's in the live chat, but there was a two you many people know this who've been on the channel for a while. My wife and I took in two young guys who basically would have been homeless because they changed their stance on the King James onlyism. And I know you're not going to say it because you're trying to be nice and gracious and reach across the aisle and be that, but I'm the, I'm the guy who doesn't care anymore. Like this is the church split, <laughs> this is the church split deal with it. All right. Like that is horrible. Like, it, yeah. and it's one of those things where, yes, of course they have those rights. Although I'm not sure if they have the right for two weeks because I, most States have like a 30 day eviction notice like law, but anyway, uh, but when I like, I like too, Natalie, how you said, and I think you were kind of showing all the stuff that you're doing in the holiness movement. And even though you had submitted to scripture in a lot of ways, you're still following the standards and even elevating them. And I'm guessing to remove the accusation of a rebellious spirit, which I'm guessing has been levied against you for leaving. Is that true? Oh, yeah, I definitely get that accusation. But it's what so what was what's crazy here is like is, is another one of those. It's, it is a gaslighting tactic, right? Like yeah. I changed my stances. I was honest about those and talked to you about it. I got kicked out and I say I got kicked out and I had to live in my car. And now I'm the bad guy. And now I I'm the bad guy. Defaming. Yeah, I'm the one slandering when it's like you. Well, I didn't make anybody homeless. Like I'd, I would much rather take slander over being homeless. You know, you know what I'm saying? So there is a like. Turn the gaslight off. Okay. We all know, you know, I just hear somebody in the background gaslight, gaslighting isn't real. And then it just gets even funnier. Well, um, but what happens to them and you're like, that's gaslighting. 
you need to be really worried about what you're, you're you're essentially giving up the ghost by saying that because you're admitting that what was done was very very poor <laughs> right and the reality is it's like well and this is where the church is like and this that right there what you just talked about is actually one of the big things that got me to leave as well which was noticing like so when people are in the worst parts of their life where they change to some of their positions we just turn their back our backs on them and when you read everything about what the church is supposed to do and when you read what the church did in the early book of acts you're like this is that's the exact opposite of what we're there what the church is called to do which reinforced in my mind that this is cult behavior not church behavior and that i'm part of a cult and uh it's as it is i can say it what you will but i know I, i'll probably get hate for that and gaslit as well but as alexis here says she's pretty sure that you guys get that every other day so it's fine uh we're all used to it at this point point. <laughs> well, we talked about it too many times i think we tweeted about it too the church is supposed to bear each other's burdens not create them your right. church created a burden for you they were not bearing them with you well and i think in their minds i left the church like all of a sudden like by by sharing my beliefs, it was like, oh, okay, well, holiness is not in your heart. You have to be that's that's an exact quote. Another person told me, um, because it anyways, there's a lot, there's a lot more. A lot of people cut me off all at the same time, and I've kind of skipped that to try to make it a shorter story. But some of those other people that also said, Hey, you can't stay in our house anymore, you can't come back anymore, they explained it like well, we are walking with Christ and you're walking away from Christ. So it was like, I'm not part of the body anymore. Are they once yeah. saved, always saved or no? no? Oh, no. And they would condemn that. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't think so because you, they, you had mentioned Wesley and Roots, which by the way, John Wesley, I don't agree with him on everything, but man, he's he's great. Like I love reading. You, Everyone should read some John Wesley in their life. Just like everyone should read some John Calvin, even though I disagree with the guy, but like you read some parts of John Calvin and you're like, Yep, that was good. Or so you're like, that was trash. And I hope everyone read what you just saw, said. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so and the other thing for me, like was uh, when you're talking about some of those things that the way it worked when you went to level with people, but you like kept the status quo the entire time. I was the guy who always struggled with the status quo because I couldn't make sense of a lot of the rules. But I like was like one of those guys who like I tried my best, you know, I'm trying to walk by faith and not by sight. Like I kept like you know, telling myself that I'll get it one day, even though I couldn't. And I just remember trying and trudging and like seeking people's approval when I realized over time I was never going to get it because I was never going to be perfect enough. Like every time I felt like I re achieved the level, a new level was unlocked that I had to try to achieve. And we, you called a lot of different things. Uh, my brother-in-law and I, we call it, uh, performance-based Christianity where no matter what I did, wasn't good enough. And then I remember even when I said I was surrendering to ministry, I was like almost scoffed at because I wasn't holy enough. And, you know, I, I had broken some rules in the past. And at that point, I still stayed in the movement, but which I don't understand why I did. Like, I was like, I can work in unity with it here. Besides the differences, I'll, I'll prove to them from within that we can do this thing. And then I, even so much where I became a Baptist, an independent fundamental Baptist, like associate pastor, and then 
eventually pastored an independent Baptist church and kind of led that church out of legalism. It endured some, you know, church splits because of that. But then, you know, the church is actually doing pretty well okay at, at this point. But anyway, point is, is like, I think it's funny how you were like the one who followed the status quo and I, I wasn't the one, but you and I are both kind of doing it for different, like similar reasons where we're just like, well, maybe I can change from within and accept these things and work from here. And it just doesn't work. And eventually now I'm a, uh, now I'm at a church that most fundamentalists would absolutely lose their minds over. Brian's been here before. It gets loud. <laughs> and there yeah. we have the, it's got the lights, it's got the band and in the IFB world. Mm. That's, oh, that's you, worldliness yeah. right there. They, center. Yeah. The IFB always makes fun of people with who have purple lights, but I'll have, you know, our lights were blue on Sunday. So <laughs> what you going to do now? Well, anyway. we, we also preached. <laughs> We also preached against colored lights, so we would back you guys there. And I also have attended some churches that did not have drums for, um, and I think it was because some of the people who had joined the church were coming out of like, a, almost like a fundamental Baptist mindset. And they had, I mean, it was the same stuff. And I think, isn't it Gothard um, that also taught against drums and some people might have been influenced by him back in the day, but yeah, anyway, so I've also been to the churches without drums, but yeah. I, I wanted to quickly point out uh, Brick Replica's comment here. Uh, Brick says, and the holiness movement thought that they could get rid of Natalie just like that. They had no <laughs> idea how that would turn out. I think our Lord loves irony. He had other plans for Natalie's ministry. <laughs> That's my husband. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good lad. But it is true. Actually, it's funny because I thought about that where I look back at a lot of stuff that my wife and I have been through. Brian knows a lot of the story. I've told a lot of it on here, but Brian knows more details than most people. And it is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I'm very thankful for our time there. But not for the reasons that a lot of people are thankful for the ministries they come from. But it, I'm not sure if the IFB, some of those people knew what the they were doing up for us when attacking us the way they did because it kind of started a fire in my soul to be like i need other people to understand the freeing power of the gospel and what it's like to know christ the way i know christ and it's time we show bad theology for what it is which is damaging so uh it kind of created their own monsters maybe that maybe the maybe the pentecostal holiness and the ifb created monsters and now they got to deal <laughs> get they get to deal with the repercussions of their actions they definitely <laughs> yeah. inspired me yeah <laughs> but it's not now they would say i'm just trying to get back at them and get revenge and this kind of stuff and it's like no dude like if it was about if it was about me in that way i would have so moved on because they're yeah i i have better things to do than try to get revenge on people um but no it's really because i saw so much of the harm that they were doing to others and to themselves and i'm just like this can't go on and no. i go to mainstream christianity and try to explain my background to them because i'm like fresh out of this craziness and try to disentangle and in shock because why is the inside of the church black and so i'm trying to like talk to people in community group and it's it's along the lines of oh so you came from one of those like really devoted churches those holy churches yeah we really respect that and i'm just in my mind going no stop stop enabling this cult behavior with your respect <laughs> anyways it, that it, i i saw just how ignorant that unfortunately mainstream christianity is they just don't know they don't know what they don't know and i saw that so many of the people who were leaving um mainstream 
didn't know what to do with them and they didn't know what to do with themselves. And um, a lot of them end up in the deconstructionist camps. Um, very, how do I say this nicely? Very loud spoken deconstructionists out there. Um, Obnoxious. Uh, yeah. Um, they have a very, almost a hyper fundamentalist idea of the gospel. I think some of them came right out of these culty churches and they never encountered mainstream Christianity, like the his historical Orthodox faith on the way out. So they just see God as this harsh judge out to get us this abuser. Um, and, you know, and I think some of them actually might've been taught that in church. Um, I'll sometimes I'll just take them for their word. Okay. You told you, you say you were told that I've been told that before. So anyways, but they're, so they, what I'm trying to say is the deconstructionists sympathize with the people who just left these cult churches and, um, and then they're like, yeah, Christianity is awful, isn't it? And instead of showing them the true gospel and true of uh, the historical Christian faith, they say, well, come with me and let's go be new age together. Um, and I've just, I've seen a lot of people leave, uh, just totally leaving faith is very common after leaving one of these churches. And um, also progressive Christianity is super common. And I think that's because progressivism and um, hyper-fundamentalism actually have a lot in common, which I've heard you guys say before, and I super appreciate that. It's yeah, so funny. <laughs> it's so nice to hear other people to say it, though, and notice that same observation was from that background. Because some people are not from that background. I'm like, I say all the time, like, the IFB use the same logic as progressives. And people lose their mind because they're like, no, 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 no. But it's so nice when you hear other people like you who goes, no, no, you can start seeing the way the logic works. You go, it's the same logical fallacies on both sides that lead to those points. So funny uh, interjection. I was talking to a holiness teenager sometime in the last few months and they gave me permission to quote them. So current holiness teenager was uh, venting to me and <laughs> this kid said, yeah, we're just like liberals. We just get all emotional and we can't actually defend our beliefs. <laughs> Oh <laughs> man! Me up, but um, <clears throat> no offense to someone who is not take the same political view I would, but it was funny to hear that from a. Oh well, yeah. Kid. Um, well, think about like with the episode we talked about with, with Brent Markey, we can kind of talk about him next and kind of how you guys get it interacted. But you know, his perspective is if you question the man of God, you might are borderline, if not stepping over the line of blaspheming the holy spirit how is that entered any different than intersectionality where if you are you have the most skin color disabilities race gender whatever that allows you to have the most you know points then you can't be questioned it's, it's essentially the same thing and it's unforgivable if you do well people aren't equals is the common denominator also true um, and that's why I like we're we have a lot of people kind of commenting on theology right now in the live chat. And one of the things that comes to mind is the, the reason why you probably didn't deconstruct was because you found someone like William Lane Craig first. You mm -hmm. started realizing where the logical fallacies were by going a little bit deeper while you were still in the faith before you got so frustrated where you left before the homeless situation happened, you were becoming more anchored in a different way. So when confronted with these things, you were able to create proper divisions that church, the people aren't the same thing as God. What one group teaches isn't the same thing as the historical faith. 
you sort of kind of you can recognize some of those issues and you're able to navigate those. And I know Brian and I definitely have had moments like and I'm sure you've had it in your ministry where you've had times of burnout, like, you know, doing Berean holiness. It can be exhausting because, one, you bear everyone's burdens who listens to you usually. And then also, you know, just the idea of like constantly having to engage and engage. And sometimes you're dealing with the same objections over and over again. So you're like you even mentioned earlier, like some of the things that you've had to constantly re talk about. And I can't tell you how often I've gotten tired. I'm like, I'm so tired to talk about alcohol. I'm so tired to talk about King James onlyism. Like I'm so sick of seeing the same arguments, the same tired arguments that don't hold up. And it's like you like the tidiest baby steps to even get someone to acknowledge even a little bit of your argument. And so sometimes you're dealing with, and it could be a real burnout. Like it really can be doing this sort of thing. But then you think of the people that in this chat, even right now, we're talking about that good theology has helped them and all that, but how your ministry can impact other people. And I think it kind of gives you wind in the sails a little bit. I think Brian and I both, before we moved to Indiana, uh, before we both did, before I moved to Indiana to take this position, Brian and I were both like, whew, what are we going to do with our channel? Like all this, we were trying to figure it out. Then we interviewed a woman and it was the best interview I think we've ever had, Julie Sigler. Like that was an amazing interview to the point where it's like, it was three hours and I could, I never stopped watching. Like it was gripping. Like I couldn't stop because she was telling her story. She could articulate so many things that I have tried for years to articulate. And she did it so well. And that was when Brian and I both had that rewind in our sales. We're like, yep, this is important. So um, I just wanted to say that because all these people are talking about it right now in the comments, how important good theology is and it can keep you anchored. And it's important that people keep pushing that against these other groups, not because we hate these other groups, but because we love them and we want them over here, like not canceling each other every time they disagree. We want them part of the historical faith fully and embracing the unity and diversity that's here for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our country and our young people. We're doing it because we love them, not because we're trying to beat up against them. Now, granted, of course, I'll say things that are saucy and I'll say that these people did horrible things, but it doesn't mean that I think that they are the world's worst people. Anyway, I digress. But um, now with your situation with Brent, he came after you by name. So do you know him? Like, what's the history there with this Brent guy, uh, Mr. Uh, Respect My Authority? <laughs> okay. He has a cool dad. I know that much. Um, and if I understand correctly, and I won't get, get super detailed because I don't want to give uh, the wrong names, but I believe it was his father is the reason why um, certain people in my family got saved, which is the reason why I was even raised in church, which Brent might not even know that. Um, but there's that interesting uh, connection there. But anyways, I've never met Brent that I know of. Um, I just, someone once upon a time earlier this year sent me a clip of him talking about a, a preacher, a revivalist named Ray Asher. Ray Asher was saying, oh yeah, I know her. Um, and I haven't seen Ray Asher in like almost 20 years, <laughs> but he was apparently talking in the revival about how he knows me <laughs> and, um, which was kind of weird, but then Brent was like springboarding off of that. Like, yeah, we know what she's really like. I, I was, I was just kind of baffled going. So some preacher, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, it, but basically it was they they totally they, they acted like they had this inside scoop on my life 
and then totally <laughs> misrepresented me. So I shared that clip to Facebook um, where they're talking about me by name. Um, interestingly enough, I have family in that church. They were also joining in the conversation about me. It was really weird. Just so weird to overhear. Um, so I know I who one I'm talking about when I go home tonight. I'm going to just talk about Natalie, I guess. Yeah, and I haven't quite even... Quite the tabletop conversation. The, it, was, it was so weird. And the family that I have in that church, great people. Like, I don't I don't have anything negative to say about them. Um, I had all positive interactions until just randomly one day hearing them and Brent and this other guy all talk about me in their Sunday school class that they put on YouTube. <laughs> so it was weird. It was so weird. So anyways, I shared that clip. Um, and I don't share clips to get back people. That's like, that's, you know, they're like, oh, you just want revenge. Like, no, I want people to see <laughs> what, what, what ha is happening in these churches. Like I'm using my story as an example. I am putting myself out there because I want mainstream Christianity to see this. I want people who are still in the churches to see this because they will deny it until they're blue in the face. And I want to make it so public that they can't and they actually have to deal with it so people stop getting hurt. Because I'm at the point where, honestly, this stuff, I find it hilarious <laughs> most of the time. Um, but there are still people who, like, their connections are so personal and so real and deep that it does, it is very, very hurtful and it turns them away from Christ. And that's terrible. So anyways, yeah, I, I shared that clip as an example. I didn't really super refute it except to say like, um, yeah, so all the stuff they say they know about me, haven't seen these people in 15 or 20 years. <laughs> I mean, I've had no interaction with them since. That's how it started. Um, then from there, Brent, went on about our called the freedom conference, how we weren't going to have real preaching, blah, blah, blah. It was going to be a, I can't even remember all the colorful ways he described it. Um, but I ended up sharing that clip as well because it was, you know, it was free advertisement. He called the conference by name and all this stuff. It was great. So I just like shared the clip. Um, again, not with, anything very negative to say about him or the church or anything like that just sharing where they're talking about us and apparently um those interactions inspired him to do that hour and a half video which um he like you know brian he uh researched by two minutes of screenshots of our comment thread our public comment thread and that's how he was able to do an hour and a half video refuting Berean holiness by screenshots of our public comments that we didn't make anyways i mean i can't yeah, tell you how many times we've got the same same comments from ifp pastors right well i saw that they did this and that's all i need to know and you're like you haven't even taken a second to listen so that's so funny when he said that i'm like wait the comment section does he go to my matt dillahunty our our recent matt dillahunty discussion video and you'll find nothing but atheists they're all angry but they're all you'll you can't control comment sections just like all these heretics right now in the live chat like you yeah. know siding with natalie online cd get off the internet you don't know how to do it <laughs> yeah if, <laughs> if you don't know how to internet bro just don't internet like just don't reading, do it reading screenshots of a comment section on printed paper <laughs> like how boomer can you get and no, then you take it to youtube like 
it's like it's like someone printing out a printing out an email to fax it. It's like, what are you doing? Well, can we also express the irony that when he's like, and I know I don't even get on Facebook. Then a few minutes later, I got him in the marketplace. Even though he just said he'd never been on the website. Anyway, also, yeah. anyone else going to point out the irony of this comment? This is great. I, I, I know this is like top 10 out of 10 ironic comments, and I know they did it on purpose. <laughs> oh, the comments are a cesspool of trolls. So yeah. this, th that makes you one of them since you're in the comment section. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kind of. Yeah. It is funny. That, that video of Pastor Brent's is one of the greatest internet treasures of all time, and I Highly recommend anyone who needs something to listen to while you're mowing the lawn or whatever, and you want some good entertainment, just just pop that in because it's just so full of just interesting, strange accusations. She uh, he tells Natalie that she's going to hell because she, on her own Facebook, corrected a male pastor accurately um, about something he preached because you know of her gender, and you can't do that. So straight to hell. You know, insert the <laughs> <to> jail. meme. <laughs> <laughs> but it really, but that's kind of the, if that's not the most like apropos response from these hyper fundamentalist groups, I don't know what is because I, I say it and this, there's really no nice way to put it. Like they're like, you've been so like, you're, you're, you're clearly like being more PC than we have, we are anymore. Like I think Brian and I started that way. And we just got to the point where we're beat up. We don't care. We're just crotchety and gr grumpy. But, um, but one of the things like, there's no a nice way to put it. When you think of these hyper fundamentalist groups, it is very ignorant. I mean, it is like the definition of like the backwoods Bible thumper who doesn't really know what they're talking about. And I, I, I know that sounds so condescending and I don't want it to sound as condescending as that sounds, but it really is that definition where I'm like, it's, so isn't it not apropos that these groups, the way they do research to refute Natalie, the way they refute the church split or others is mm, screenshots of the comment section and one, one or two sentences out of context. Like, it's so apropos because I'm like, that's also the way you do the rest of your Bible study. <laughs> like, so that's how you get to your your conclusions, because you take one little phrase and you try, jump giant, draw giant conclusions from it. So anyway, it's just, it's just very apropos. And then also, uh, I just saw it right before we started the show because you told us about it pre-show. But you're also recently called Wolves of Sheep Clothing as well. Uh, and you're called out by name. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about, do you know that guy? Because uh, this, uh, Brent, it sounds like has connections right directly to your family or like. Like 20 years back. Yeah, but still, still connected. Something. <laughs> yeah, still something. 10-year-old Natalie, okay? That's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what about the rest? Uh, is, is Did you know that guy? Do you know who he is? Um. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, I So the church that he was at, I've never been to that church. I'm familiar with that church. I know the pastor of that church from my childhood. Again, never had a bad experience with them. When we were at Bible school, that was like the church to go to. That was the super cool church. Um, never got to go. I was never special enough to go in that ministry. Um, but yeah, and then so I, I just know a little bit about the church and the pastor. Um, at which people, goodness, I've gotten in trouble for, uh, quote unquote, dragging the church into it. And I'm like, mm, I think they drag themselves into it by, you know, being the host and putting 
it on YouTube and leaving it on YouTube. I think they're kind of owning it. But um, anyways, but the, the preacher himself, no, I, I do know who he is because he hosted a holiness podcast for a minute um, and railed on us there, usually not by name. But I actually I found that podcast only because they were stalking Berean holiness. Um, and I just saw them like always looking at our stories and this kind of stuff, but not really following. And so anyways, that's how I found them. And so I listened to him kind of rail against us on there. And yeah, and then this sermon that someone sent me, that's so yeah, he doesn't know me at all. He just knows what he's seen on social media. That's crazy. <laughs> we definitely um, that too, where you just you get you get the wild accusations of people that don't don't meet you. I guess that's part of the internet. But you know, the other thing I like that you said too is you know if you're making public statements online, yeah, I'm I'm gonna post it publicly too. And I think that's why I use the Galatians two reference in my episode about Pastor Brent is like, look, uh, we have biblical evidence of calling out pastors who make or make or do public actions that are hypocritical with scripture, it's okay to call that out publicly. And if you do something publicly, it's, it deserves a public response. So um, we get that accusation a lot where, Hey, why are you bring this up online? Like, you know, should you go talking directly? Like, no, no, they made it public. So we'll respond to it publicly. And I think that's, I think that's all fair game. And Paul did it with Peter. Yeah, I think the most recent one I got a lot of flack for was uh, when we did our stealth Calvinism video because we pulled a stealth Calvinist that was an interim pastor at my church, uh, not the church I'm at now, but the other church that that's since my move. But and it was a bunch of people were like, like you did, you did this, and like your church, this is your church here. I'm like, this these are public statements put posted online. Like at this point, pub, a public statement can receive a public response. At this mm-hmm. point, it's public. There is no to sit there and be like, oh no, I can say whatever I want publicly, but you have to deal with all my ego and everything privately is just the absolute definition of hypocrisy and special pleading. Like, I want special treatment. Well, and I'm gonna say this, and I know holiness some and goodness, I, I keep saying holiness people, and I know I'm gonna someone's thinking like you're lumping us all together. They're not I I I it is possible to attend a holiness church. It is possible possible to personally follow holiness standards and not be what I would term a hyper-fundamentalist. Um, so I'll just throw that nuance out there. Um, yeah, if Natalie's not driving here, don't take offense to it. <laughs> you don't fit, don't wear it. I say that regularly when I talk about the IFB. So. But, but the super hyper-fundamentalists that are elitist and authoritarian and all, all the other isms... Um, I am going to tell them this and they're going to find out that I said this and they're not going to listen to me. And because I know they won't listen to me, I can say it, but live streaming their services is going to be the end of them. It really is because when you take step, when you are sitting in a congregation and every single person in that 30 person congregation is amening and hyping up and clapping and running the aisles. Did y'all run the aisles? That is, Anyways, we did that. That's a thing. And running on the tops of the pews, I found out people don't know what that is. Mind-blowing. Anyways, (laughs) but when everyone is hyping up the preacher and so excited about the man of God speaking the word of God, because we also, we didn't 
there were there were certain preachers, I think they're more prevalent than we would admit, that did not really study scripture for their sermons because they had the idea that God gives the man of God the words to speak. And that's how we got some really crazy doctrines. Um, just this idea that God just, that he is the mouthpiece and God speaks through them. But anyways, but all that to say, when you're in that an emotionally charged environment and you hear something crazy from the pulpit, like, I mean, even something like, uh, you know, wedding rings or idolatry. Actually, that's not even the craziest thing. I feel like that's somewhere in the middle. But anyways, when you hear that, you're just like, yeah, I guess it's true because it's your whole echo chamber. It's your whole bubble, like hyping that up. Um, and you would feel, and, and you, you're trained to think that the spirit of God is the goosebumps that you're feeling. So it is God sanctioning that. And then by the way, you have a message in tongues with interpretation that also backs the man of God and says, yes, wedding rings are idolatry. And when you're sitting there, it's just like, you know, it doesn't make any sense, but you go with it because it just feels like you're supposed to. But when someone takes that clip because your church live streamed it and put it on YouTube and someone else shares it, where 10,000, 20,000, even, you know, one video we published, it was like half a million people watch it and you see hundreds, even thousands of people in the comment threads, Christians going, that is absurd. Where is that in the Bible? You, your, your concern is validated and it, it's just like, it's like someone saying the emperor has no clothes, if you know that story, except, you know, when when we can share it publicly, then you have thousands of people, um, at least dozens or hundreds, just in the comments alone, saying the emperor has no clothes. And then it's, it's like, yeah, yep, that's that's actually what I thought. And the people, it helps them to disentangle so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the live streaming stuff is going to be the death of my i've said the same thing about the ifb because i mean stuff they'll say about women the stuff they said about you know young men the way they act and stuff i mean I, the amount of stuff that comes out of their mouths you're just it's unbelievable what they say i'm like that's what's going to get you done like that's what's going to do you in and what by the way in the ifb the whole running the aisles that is a thing uh, it just depends what group. So there was different sects within the IFB. I was from the uh, hoity-toity crowd. I was from uh, quietness, proposed reverence type of crowd where you're quiet, you're behaved, you look a certain way, you act a certain way, and you, everything's very kind and polished and it's got a certain air to it. Then there's the other side of uh, the IFB, which is like the side that like my side pretended didn't exist, but like we associated with them. But we also were like, yeah, they're the annoying little brothers, which was like they were the ones who would run the aisle, scream, amen, is get all sorts of wild. And they were like we called them the camp meeting crowd. And I and oftentimes, like if you're in the IFB, you would be like, oh, he they're from like the Crown College or the Bob Jones or the Pensacola. And then you're like, oh, they're like the fancier kind. But then if you mention like, oh, they're from Fairhaven or Hiles or Golden State or Grace or and these other colleges, then you're like, oh, you're from the backwoods, crazy folk, IFB type. Like that was that was like the way that we had it, even though no one would say some of that out loud, but that's totally what it was. <laughs> so um, but I love the what you when you're talking about, like, that's why. We call it out because we want it. We you're calling it out because it needs to stop and it does hurt people. 
and and it and like you said people leave the faith all over the place because of that sort of thing um so by the way if you're in the live chat now start putting in your questions that you want us to address i am starring them i did get a few already but there uh there was some that like because you had said one and that oh where was it somebody put it in here i'm gonna see if i can find it oh no we already lost it (laughs) I did. Well, I put it on the screen and the person just quoted you and I thought it was fantastic. Oh, there it is. Uh, Make it public so they have to deal with it. Uh, And that's and we actually in the church split discussion apologetics group on Facebook, we have IFP pastors and pastors wise in there. Like we have some hardcore still like very committed IFP people. But like one of them, Steve Brudnick recently even was like, I really appreciate this group because even though you guys criticize my group, a lot of your criticisms are fair. And like even and like that's all we really care about. Like I'm not asking you to change every little thing that you believe. I'm not asking you to stop being a Baptist. I'm not asking you to stop being a Pentecostal. I'm saying that fix these major issues and don't be like that. So that I, I care about people being hurt. I don't really care about if you're a dispensationalist or a continuationist or whatever. Like that's not my goal. Well, like I, I have disagreements, but yeah. That's why at the beginning of the show I was hesitant to say what I believe about Pentecostalism, because even though I'm not ashamed of my beliefs, I don't want, like, there is room for diversity there. There is totally room to come away with different understandings of 1 Corinthians 14 and how it should be applied. There's, we should be able to differ on secondaries. That's kind of my whole point. Um, And that's, so you can be a, a healthy Christian and be in many different kinds of uh, camps of theology and still all be within orthodoxy. And I 100% agree with you. That's not what's wrong. What's wrong is I would point it back to, you know, the elitism, the elitism where like the one true church, uh, where the only Christians going to heaven, the extra biblical requirements, the idea that you have to do X, Y, Z to be saved, the authoritarianism, which is, you know, you have to obey the man of God. Basically, he gets to add to scripture, you know, for his congregation. And that's so toxic. Um, and this whole like a checklist of rules instead of um, growing in Christ, like that whole performance, performance based salvation or uh, checklist holiness, whatever we want to call it. That's that's in opposition to um, the biblical understanding of we don't work for faith. We don't work for holiness. We work from holiness. Um, it's, it's a backwards understanding of the gospel. It's a lot of behavior management, the outside in, instead of letting people have truly their own relationship with Christ. And by that, I don't mean like we can throw out the Bible because, well, God told me thus and so, which some, you know, progressives might fall into that. But about a genuine relationship with Christ, which of course, if you love me, you'll obey my commands and an outworking of God working in us and obeying the Bible. There are, there are clear biblical commands in the Bible. And that's, I think what a lot of people don't understand, but man, I could, I'm trying to rein this in, but there are clear biblical commands in the Bible that we can't um, back, back up on. We have to all believe XYZ because the Bible literally says XYZ in black and white. But then there's so many secondary issues and just ways of interpreting the Bible, whether that has to do with um, how we believe on eternal security or predestination or um, goodness, the age of the earth. Am I going to get stoned for that? 
um, or, or um, Pentecostalism, <laughs> speaking in tongues, uh, all, all these things, we there's legitimately room for secondary issues and we can agree to disagree and still fellowship and it that goes over so many people's heads. Uh, you're in good company when it comes to young earth older stuff because I actually uh, about a year ago I think uh, Brian maybe it was I posted like about the debate and I'm like bottom line is there are multiple different views of this and here they all have legitimate points to make and okay. I, I had was people have asked my opinion on this a thousand times and I'm at the point where I just don't care I don't care mm -hmm. what the age of dirt is that's that, that's I don't care I and uh, I got a call from uh, uh he's a good guy but he it was a deacon i worked with and he he's a great dude he's had my back in a lot of stuff but he's like legitimately concerned for me because he was like but if you're not young earth creationist you don't believe the bible and i'm like that's this is not true um so anyway i uh we have some questions and other comments uh brian if you can keep an eye out for comments too and try to start them because i gotta go switch the start yeah tab. you're gonna watch start i'll watch the other side all right, cool. So if you see them, um, first off, I wanted to make sure I think this is just a good time to get into questions and, and stuff along that nature, because we've already one of the questions we did have was that we should. Uh, uh, one of the questions uh, we had in our interview plans was tell us some of the weird beliefs of bringing holiness uh, of Pentecostal holiness. But you already told us some of the weird beliefs of Pentecostal holiness, not Berean holiness. Sorry, you're Berean holiness. We already were this a pre-show pre-show. I knew I was going to get that screwed up at least once. I was doing good up to this point, though. I'm proud of myself. Um, so, uh, Jordan just was being a cracking a joke because you're a woman on the channel. So he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, <laughs> like the way they would just try to get it shut up. By the way, Jordan's wife is actually a pastor. So don't think he's actually being serious, just so you know. Um, so, uh, anyway, then this is a question. He made a statement. And I have a question. His statement was said for a second. I thought you were about to tell the story about the girls who cut their hair and begged the Holy Spirit to come back to them. Is that an actual thing or is he being funny? No, that's an actual thing. Um, and I, I don't even know what he's oh. talking about, but maybe he's talking about what I've shared before. Either way, I'll just share what I've shared before, which was I specifically remember being at a youth camp. Um, I believe it was a youth camp. And for all those who know me personally, no, it wasn't my favorite one. It was a different one. <laughs> but anyways, so I was at one of these Holiness Pentecostal youth camps and um, they were really trying to preach holiness standards. And a lot of times they would preach them with all the fear. And I mean, at this same camp that I'm thinking of, turn out all the lights, play hell noises, demon noises, and like have people look like demons and come through the aisle and grab somebody and throw them in a coffin and like drag them out. And I don't even know, I don't know if I have all the details right, but it was something very much like that because I was there and it was, that level of crazy but we Best believe in fear tactics ever. yeah i was like that sounds awesome where actually. do i sign up i want to do that <laughs> i'm going yeah. i'm going i'm going in october so back to the hair so this was a normal service this wasn't um this wasn't where we drag someone out of the church kicking and screaming dressed up as demons but they still would use the fear tactics in their sermons and so one of the scary stories that started like a ghost story would be the two girls who thought they could just trim just the ends of their hair, split ends and stuff, right? So they sit down in the barber's chair and the barber takes the scissors and begins to trim the ends of their hair. And all of a sudden, 
the girls felt the Holy Ghost lift from them and his presence departed from them. And he was like a dove just lifting and, and leaving them. And they felt like Samson did the spirit depart for them for good, for good. We're talking reprobate apostate. And they knew it. And they started screaming and crying, come back, come back, come back, come back. But of course their hair was cut and the spirit was gone. And then I guess we just assumed they went to hell. And we all went and prayed. <laughs> so they were Nazarites? Oh. Actually, that raises a question because that's crazy. Like, and it kind of goes, actually, one, uh, there's a question about, did they teach that men had to have short hair? Yeah, of course. Okay, so like Samson, they use Samson as the example, even though <laughs> Samson had long hair and he's a man. Yeah. We don't I've never... That. I've never understood that. Uh, but that that's the exam. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, whatever. That, yeah. Are we going to pretend that Paul didn't take the Nazarite vow in the book of Acts? Okay. Whatever. Anyhow. Um, so and don't forget that women could take the Nazarite vow. What does that say? Yeah. It, right. And so what? Like, and where does it say that women can't, where does it say that women can't cut their hair? It never says that. It says a, woman, a, a woman's hair is like her glory, but that's about it. Like, that's about as much as you go but to extrapolate. If you from cut that. your glory, then the glory of the Lord departs from you. Oh, goodness. So that's the way we get that weirdly literal with it, as opposed to take it as like, it's her pride. Like she, enjoy, like she, her hair is her beauty, like that she enjoys to like take care. Wow. All right. You can't even, that's a stretch. We will. I want to like actually go on a tangent about that, but I actually recently talked about hair and stuff in my recent live stream uh, where I talked about Hiles Anderson with that long hair. So I talk a little bit more about that in context and maybe one of these days we should actually do a full, Brian, maybe one of these days we should do a full deep dive on what all the hair stuff is about in the Bible. We really that'd should. Be, but we I'm should do an episode on that. I'm just thinking when I was younger, I was on the bus and uh, this kid to be mean took this piece of chewed gum and stuck it in the girl's hair in front of him. And she had to get some of that cut off, and it was terrible. I had no idea she lost her salvation. I thought she just had to get her hair cut and it grow back. But, I mean, just think of the calamity you could rot on people with just some big league chew. I mean, I, I had no idea. Apparently, you lose your salvation. Also, oh uh Roddy put it as said the gospel of standards. It's an excellent way to put it when you called that earlier, which I thought was actually a fantastic way to put it as well. Um, and then Jordan again made a great point as we're talking about like those things where the little bit of research and of what is so regular. He's like, don't think, especially don't think critically, just believe John 316. He's making fun of Calvinism after that. But uh, but the point, but that's really what it is, right? Like, don't think, just believe. Would you say that that was a pretty normal thing? Because I know we're going to talk about it here in a minute because somebody else put it in the comments, but critical thinking actually was very not okay in the IFB. Yeah, 100%. And um, I actually recall there was another young preacher, went to Bible school, great guy in a lot of ways, of course, friendly, nice. Um, <laughs> sorry, random memory. Um, but anyways, he was really concerned about me after I had made it clear that I was going to start attending non-holiness churches. He reached out to me, which I appreciate. 
And um, he really tried to pull for my soul, I guess you could say. And his whole line of reasoning was kind of ironic. I just said line of reasoning was that you have to pray until the spirit gives you a revelation. Like I was, we were talking about shorts, for example. And if women can wear knee length skirts, why can't men wear knee length shorts? Um, That was a thing in our group. And for some reason, men's pants had to be to their ankles, but women's skirts could be shorter. Um, It was kind of weird. But anyway, so we were talking about, is it, does the Bible teach that men cannot wear shorts, that it has to be to their ankle covered? And he is like, Natalie, you're just, you're getting sidetracked and you need to pray. And these, the holiness, it comes by revelation of the Holy Spirit. And I am worried about you. You're getting away from the Holy Spirit. Anyways, and then another example, I'll back it up with another one. I was at a um, a church that I love. I love those people. Um, and they were really good to me growing up. But I tried to visit after I was no longer holiness. And I came in and I was wearing uh, my wedding ring. And anyway, so it was kind of awkward in Sunday school when one lady stood up and she talked about when she got saved, God revealed to her, you know, get rid of your jewelry, get rid of your makeup, all this kind of stuff. And I'm already sitting there going, okay, so I'm the only person in here, you know, who's not following all these standards that she's saying the Lord revealed to her. And then it got even more awkward when another adult piped up and said, those people that said, say, well, I prayed about it and God didn't reveal to me to give up my jewelry, etc." They're lying. They're lying because God doesn't change and he's not going to tell me something that he wouldn't tell you. So you're either lying or you did not you did not see God because he will reveal it. He is faithful and he does not change. I'm just sitting there with my wedding ring going okay. <laughs> but I think it's a How great I know you're not lying. Like <laughs> reverse Uno card that one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they really believe like got to get a revelation. I mean, it's the same thing as their sermons. You got to get a revelation. What does God want me to preach? That's why we don't preach through the Bible. We don't preach, uh, you know, through books of the Bible, this kind of stuff. Um, well, when I asked about that, because you got to get what God wants for that service. Well, and that right there when you were like talking about it, it's like, well, you got to pray the Holy Spirit. You got we we were led by the Holy Spirit. What they really mean is that your internal experience or internal feelings will over will overrule what's been written like that's a big thing that happens out there that's why it's about the spirit revealing to you because you're like well the bible doesn't say anything about that in fact the bible says that they girded up their loins which means that they brought it over their knees so they could right. run right. or they could get in the jordan or whatever They'd gird up their loins so they wouldn't trip it's like but we have actually examples of this no no through the spirit you have to rely on the spirit so what you want is the spirit to overrule and overwrite what the Bible has clearly revealed. Well, and we're trusting, we are trusting our our emotions to be able to discern the spirit out of all of our the thoughts in our head. Because that's what it is, right? It's ultimately thoughts in our head. And we're just trying to figure out which thoughts are mine and which thoughts are the Holy Spirit just speaking into my thoughts. Um, we are trying we are trusting that discerning the Holy Spirit over the literal word of God that we know the Holy Spirit inspired. Like everything in here is the Holy Spirit 100% for sure. The thoughts in my head, I'm not so sure. But in in our groups, we would prioritize knowing the Holy Spirit from our head over <laughs> what we actually know the Holy Spirit said in the word. 
Yeah, I said that sound like? progressive Christians. Right. Once again. And I've said it before as well on here, which is the like the Bible's very clear. And I got told this because I was like, wait, well, isn't the Bible very clear what's what is sin and what is not? Like God, I don't think would leave that a mystery to be extrapolated through some other ways. Like God, God is the creator of language. I'm pretty sure he knows how to communicate. And when I would ask, like, these are the the stipulations. I would just be told, well, I just need to have faith or I just need to stop asking questions and being rebellious and actually just listen to the words coming out of their mouths and just do it. Be obedient. Stop being rebellious. And I was told that was the problem. So I just thought of this. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but it just popped in my head while you said that. I think one of the differences but similarities between far left progressive Christianity and far right hyper fundamentalism is the hyper-fundamentalists um, look at scripture and say, mm, I know it's not plain, but I think I think it's saying that this is a sin. And, you know, they'll, they'll add, they'll read sins into the word of God. Whereas someone on the far opposite extreme would look at what's plainly written in the word of God and say, no, I, I don't think they really mean that's a sin. So like the, the one end is adding sins in that aren't there. And the other end, is trying to take sins out that are there. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like as a general whole, that's true. Like uh, in, in generality, that would be a true observation. Obviously, there's little ways that you could of course. crisscross it. But yeah, but I'd say as a general whole, that's true. And uh, it actually, like when you're <laughs> when you're talking about like uh, the, the things that people insert in scripture too, like, but you're even saying like right there when that lady was saying like, you're, I know if, if you're saying that, then you're a liar. Cause either, cause the same Holy spirit that's in you is also in me with, with that whole statement. What's funny is that like, I've pulled that same card and people be like, well, the Holy spirit hasn't revealed this to me and the same Holy spirit that indwells in me. is the same one that indwells in you. So either the Holy spirit's lying to one of us, or we should just go back to the word of God where we know the, where we know we can see the filter perfectly fine. And some people get that mixed up. But anyway, I'll, 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 I'll keep trucking through here. So I just wanted you to see some of the encouraging messages in here um, as well. I started these throughout the conversation. Through Brian Holiness and other various avenues, my family has been able to find material that has helped us tremendously after leaving our church home after 27 years. God bless your ministry. So I know in the world out there, there's a cacophony of negative remarks that you get every day but it's things like this that kind of keep at least brian and i going when we hear that god used to like blubbering idiots like ourselves who just like to say snarky things and it's actually help people so <laughs> um also derek made a great comment about uh about your ministry as well and he's a if you don't know derek B uh beeler on twitter and stuff you should follow him he's great uh he's in a lot of the apologetics groups um but he says one of my favorite parts of our, her testimony is that she's still a believer and didn't go progressive she left but remained in the historical faith and i think we it'd be so nice if we saw that more happen like people take time before they just shift beliefs and just deconvert well and i think from my experience, if you are unhappy, if you are already seeing the spiritual abuse and the wrong behavior, but you say, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to go to these churches anyways, and you don't take time to study, you will eventually just leave. Um, it's inevitable. I've seen people tell me uh, that, you know, I don't believe this and I know it's unhealthy, but I'm going to stay. And they, they sit in that and then three years later, they're not Christians 
whatsoever. Um, and, and I think it's just because, goodness, it's so important to study your way out. And I, that's actually why I'm pretty passionate to reach people who are still holiness. And of course, I get a lot of flack for that because, you know, then you're a church robber or whatever. Um, but I want to reach people who are still in hyper-fundamentalist groups, whether that is Mennonite, Branamite, 2 by 2 um, one of the 87 holiness movements, one is Pentecostal or whatever, because while you still care, that's when you need to be studying. Uh, if you sit in a toxic church environment for years, you get to the point you don't care if God exists. You just want out and you're hurting. Um, and it, when you get to that state, it's very hard to study. So while you, when you start to see the red flags, but you're still able to care. You're still able to study. That's when you need to study. And you, if you study your way out, if it is the Bible that convinces you to leave, your chances of thriving afterwards are so much higher. In my personal story, I didn't just happen to land in the historical faith. I left partly, you know, well, besides being kicked out. But ultimately, I wanted the historical faith. Like, that was my goal. Even though I wanted to stay in the movement and be a reformer, it was still the biblical gospel um, that was so attractive to me. That's what I wanted. That's what I was going towards. And ultimately, it was following that trajectory of, I do want scripture. I do want the beautiful historic faith that the martyrs died for that landed me outside of the group. 100%. And that's actually, Brian knows I went through like an obsession with church history because I it was, I'm like, I want the historical faith. I'm done with all this nonsense. Cause I want to be actually point to something and be like 1500 years ago, this is what we taught. Mm -hmm. And you have actually varied from that. And yeah. I don't believe, you know, it, being able to point that out would help quite a bit. And it has helped my conversations. It also got me a lot of trouble, but <laughs> it's amazing how ignorant most of the church is on church history. And they believe whatever they are believing has been the belief of the church in perpetuity. And usually they're wrong. <laughs> Ooh, in perpetuity. We're busting out college words today. Um, Phil Bishop said, many of us who have left were created by our church to be such people pleasers. Revenge doesn't fit. Neither does stirring the movement's ire in order to expose the graceful gospel. It's a calling. And I think he put it well where it's like, that's where, you know, as I was joking around, like they created their own monsters, so to speak, but it was never about revenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think I called out Clarence Sexton probably the hardest uh, one day. Uh, and I still, I have no, re, no regrets, uh, but the, the, it's not about revenge. It's about calling out bad things for what they are, which is bad. Like confronting to the face, like P Paul confronting Peter to his face and saying he's wrong. And then all these uh, people seem to also do not forget what historically would have happened with these Pauline letters. Like if you're reading through like, um, uh, Philippians, you're reading through it and he's just giving his nice little beginning and he's talking a little bit about some other issues. And then he calls out two women by name and he's like, y'all two women need to start getting along and knock this <laughs> off. Anyway, back to what I was saying about the grace of Christ. You're like, these would have been read publicly. Could you imagine the apostle sends a letter to your church? Like, no, oh, he sent us a letter, you know, like you're singing blues clues songs and suddenly you get called out by name in front of everyone. Paul. Don't you know that you should be seeking revenge and slandering people? Like, if you, it's just people don't understand. It's like, that's it, part of the historical faith is also rebuking bad behavior. Which is why, 
Which is why it's historical and right for them to call me a wolf from the pulpit, right? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> That's it's... their logic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they have the right to say whatever they want. Like this is America, man. Oh, you absolutely. have the right. To, you have the right to be wrong, but. <laughs> Um, let's see. Phil Bishop also says two minutes of research for over an hour. I listened to his message and there was almost no scripture quoted, much less reference. And what scripture was used was jerked out of context. So it sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of his sermons and we kind of talked a little bit about this pre-show, but most of his thoughts don't conclude. He starts with a statement, gets sidetracked, takes a lot of really deep breaths and nothing's ever actually said in almost the entire sermon it's actually quite impressive i i don't i don't natalie is there is there other teaching that goes on in these churches besides just the sermon because i don't even understand how you even get doctrine from most of what's being preached behind the pulpit or on the pulpit or in front of the pulpit running really fast we had sunday school curriculum that was written by yeah those same preachers basically um yeah, there's well, some interesting stuff in there, but <laughs> that would be the alternative to the sermons. Brian, this is where your reformed upbringing is showing itself because you were raised on catechisms. And so even though that they're dry, they're boring and not a lot of scripture, but you were constantly referenced to catechisms, you're at least getting doctrine and catechisms and the importance of doctrine and catechisms. See, in the, in the IFB world, their doctrine is kind of important. Like they'll like an IP world of once they'd always say there's certain things that are like really big things that they hammer on. And I'm sure in the, in the Pentecostal holiness world, there are certain things that they hammer on that are like their core doctrines that they fight on, but otherwise like systematic theology and that sort of thing, not really a thing. Like I, the book that they gave us in at crown college is called elemental theology. And it is like the most milk toast book you'll ever read on theology. So, um, but all right, let's. Sorry, I don't mean to keep going. I'm going to try to move forward a little bit here on some of the questions. Um, question by uh, Linguas Amo. I don't, I, I'm sorry, Linguas Amo. Anyway, question Is nepotism a regular thing with IFB churches? I ask because I see this with a local church where I live. Uh, yes, that is actually pretty normal. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the same for uh, Pentecostal holiness churches, but it is actually a pretty normal thing. Uh, they regularly hire family, and that's what they do. Uh, and uh, and mainly, I think, for a few reasons. One, because obviously it makes makes the family easier to control, the church easier to control, everything more in agreement. But also, they're probably the only people who take the job in a lot of those places. Uh, I, when I took over the Independent Baptist Church up in Michigan, where I met Brian, the the entire family what that came from that previous pastor like ran everything in the church and it started causing problems when i started bucking some of the systems so uh yes nepotism is normal i don't know it's nepotism out of necessity because they're the only people there yeah yeah oftentimes yes now is there uh is that normal in the pentecostal holiness as well or no oh yeah oh yeah you'll have one like the father pastors one church and then he sends one son to the next town over to to take the next holiness church and the other son takes the other church over here and basically they have like family denominations I've seen that many times um yeah i won't yeah, yeah anyways um and but also then you have family churches where like one member of the family is the sunday school teacher the other member is the pastor then the assistant pastor and it, it's it is very common but i think and partly we're just so small 
And I think a lot of times it was of necessity, but it can, it can really make, really, really, really make a bad, it, it sets you up so bad for scandals because accountability, it happens, it happened in my family. I'll just say that where, um, yeah, where like someone's sitting under his younger brother. And of course his younger brother isn't going to say, Hey, you're, you're living in adultery and you need to stop. Um, <laughs> it, it, it can go really bad and that can badly affect the family. Yep. I agree. Well, because there's no, like there's a conflict of interest, like that's all there is to it. Now we did get night owl and I know you said you're going to keep your personal beliefs more like on some of this stuff like you just said like go languages and uh, that was basically it so uh but he night owl asked how do you explain acts 19.6 and 10.45-46 and uh brian and i have an entire episode where we break down the issue of tongues you can go like look up the church split tongues um you know speaking in tongues it should pop right up but we do have that if not send us an email at the church split at gmail.com i will send you the episode but i can answer your question quickly uh brian i have it pulled up here if you want me to take it real quick go for it i already had it pulled up too so i was gonna read it so go for it oh perfect all right well look at us too we're, we're so smart we or at google. least we can google <laughs> all right uh acts 19 6 says and when paul had laid his hands on them the holy spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying and then if you go to acts chapter 10 45 to 46 the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So the question really is like nobody, no Christian denies that tongues is in the Bible. The question really comes down to is what are the tongues? Is it a holy angel language? Is it something that only an interpreter could possibly understand or is it something that is actually the easiest way to understand it once you get this like the pentecost i think a lot of people struggle with it too because of the pentecostal lenses that come in like a lot of people who were raised pentecostal or even been around pentecostals or even know what pentecostals teach instantly go in with this pre like presupposition of what these texts might mean same thing when like calvinist with romans 9 once you have a calvinist understanding of romans 9 you read romans 9 some people have a hard time peeling away the calvinist lenses off of it however speaking in tongues tongues in the greek is the same word used for languages like uh if my wife came in my wife's korean okay but she was raised in the u.s but let's say she was raised in korea she spoke korean she's speaking a different tongue She's speaking in tongues that I do not know. So when you take this as a miracle of the Holy Spirit that it came upon them and they were able to declare in another language as a miracle, which also has a cool parallel to the um, Tower of Babel, it actually is really interesting. In one area, you have languages that confused and dispersed. And then finally, you parallel to Acts where languages that people knew came together and united. So you have this cool parallel of how God like un, like using languages to communicate. And that's why it says in Acts 2 that everyone heard it in their own tongue. And then you get to Paul and he and people and I, I, I uh, a coworker of mine who is Pentecostal, I got her spun up when I spun out when I was like, read that verse again, because he says, though I speak with the tongues of angels that have the faith to move mountains and he says speaks of all these hyperboles and hyperboles and says but if i do not have love i have nothing the simple answer here is like okay has your faith ever moved a mountain like 
I might have faith, but it's never moved a mountain, right? Like, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I don't have enough faith. If you guys have, let me know now. But your faith hasn't done that. And so is the tongues of angels literally referring to some, like, angelic language? Well, actually, if you understand some historical things, by the way, tongues of angels was an idiom that Pharisees would use, and Paul's a Pharisee, for Hebrew. So if I speak with all the tongues of he, uh, in Hebrew, if I spoke with all these fanciful languages, if my faith could even move mountains, but I have not love, I have nothing. He's speaking in hyperbole, as Paul oftentimes did, which is a normal Jewish pharisaical teaching method. I hope that answers your question. Does any uh, Natalie, Brian, do you guys have any input on that? Any I'd further? Give a little bit more input. Um, I'm not sure. I can't quote the cite the verse off the top of my head, but when when the apostles saw that these other groups, whether it was the Samaritans or wherever, um, were receiving the Spirit, and they were given the sign of them, those people receiving the Spirit speaking languages, it's said in Acts that, you know, how can we deny that they have the Spirit because they've received tongues, the ability to speak in languages, just like we did. And so Corinthians aside, if it, if, these other groups were receiving it just like the apostles did. We have a detailed account of what just like the apostles, how they received their tongues, which is Acts 2, which is, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, but I can spell it better than I can say it, the X-E-N-O, Glossia. But anyways, um, we know how they received tongues. They're able to share the gospel in other languages, they never learned. That's the, how the apostles spoke in tongues. And so if these other groups were receiving it just like the apostles did, then that means they were watching these other groups be able to, to sh most likely share the gospel, but at the bare minimum, speak in other human languages they never learned. Corinthians aside, we know how it happened in Acts. And so if this is what initial tongues evidence is supposed to look like, then when people, if, if this is really supposed to be normative, then when people receive the Spirit, then they need to receive the axe tongues because what's so funny is um, the axe tongues will be separated from the Corinthians tongues in order to make it like two different kinds of tongues. Corinthians is the gift tongue and axe is the initial evidence tongue because they have to get around that verse that says not all speak with tongues, right? Um, so, but it then they cross wires when it comes to what kind of tongues because they'll say, okay, so... You know, the Acts tongues is initial evidence, but wait, 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 Acts tongues is when they speak in human languages, but then they go, oh no, Corinthians, because we can pull this out of, you know, Corinthians, was it 13? And um, say that you're supposed to speak in angel languages. So we wouldn't be able to translate that. But, but then I'm just over here going, wait, y'all, I thought this was two different types of tongues. Um, it's kind of confusing to explain, but you just got to see there's this total like we separated them out, initial evidence, Acts, Corinthians gift, but then we have to swap them in order to say initial evidence is speaking in angelic tongues. Um, so when I started realizing that and just the mental gymnastics that we had to do, uh, then I realized, okay, if initial evidence is true, then we need to be speaking we need to receive it just like the apostles did. And that has never happened that I have ever seen. Um, so we're not really receiving the Acts tongues either by, well, if we're just consistent. 
Right. Well, and people seem to miss the fact that, like, why else would you need an interpreter? It's because somebody's speaking a different language. Like, it's like somebody walking into my service this, like, on Sunday and speaking French. They, no one understands. So you need an interpreter. Otherwise, you might be saying something from the spirit, but it's not beneficial to all. It's just between you and God. So sit down and shut up unless you have an interpreter. That's what he's saying. It's talking about an orderly service where you're not having much people sitting there like in like medieval days where people would like read the Bible in Latin and no one understood it. They're talking about that sort of thing. These are known languages. It also makes sense that this miracle would happen at the point that the Holy Spirit comes on believers in the risen Jesus at the day at a day like Pentecost where all these people from different nations have come around. So that way the Holy Spirit can work through them and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to all these different nations and groups who would have different languages. It's when it's using tongues, I, I'm not even kidding. Like it's it'll make so much more sense. Go to all those passages and read the, the, the different countries that they might be from or like Corinth, like because you're talking about Corinthians, Corinth, what, what type of city Corinth was, and then read it as just known languages. And you'll find that all your issues with the text completely disappear, and it makes a hundred thousand, like a thousand times more sense. So, anyway, um, I think we could all probably talk about that for a while, but we'll yeah, just keep on let's, trucking. Let's get to the next ones. <laughs> yeah, Brian's like, I'm going to fall asleep. Uh, I just admire her bravery. It takes nerve to do this. I've said a thousand times, Christians need to call out other Christians and stop complaining. Being Christian with being stupid and stupid nice all the time. I uh, couldn't agree more. Um, and then this is what I kind of what we were hinting at earlier. Ethan said, can confirm it was actually even frowned upon for preachers to study a sermon in my sect. Wow. And uh, which is actually true. I've heard of it too before where it's like, no, you don't study. And they frowned on academia and said academia challenges the word of God. And what they meant by the word of God was, you know, their standards. Um, we got a question by Shredhead for our opinion on Ruckman. Uh, anyone else familiar with Ruckman in this chat, or is it just me? Peter Ruckman? Ruckmanites? Ruckmatism? Nobody? King James onlyest racist? I've heard right? of yeah. that, but I haven't really looked into them. Man! Oh, you guys want to hear a trip? You guys got to go look up Peter Ruckman. I'll give you my opinion, Shredhead, because I actually know who that is. Uh, Racist, 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 sexist, bigoted, homophobe. There's, there it is. Uh, like I don't use a, that term, the, like that the leftist jargon, but he actually is like yeah. a racist. He's Not the way the left actually uses it, but actually for real though. <laughs> yeah, like for real. Look up the definitions. He actually is him. Uh, he's actually a racist. Like he speaks against interracial marriages. He believed that black people, like blackness, was the mark of Cain. He's, he's really. Oh, I'm so sorry. What? Oh, can I just? Uh, mm. Go Once ahead. upon a time, someone that I know um, was trying to win people to Jesus. And she asked a leader in the church. It was an interracial couple. So black woman, white guy, married, I believe. She asked um, people in a leader in our church if they would be welcome to come. She was told that they could come, but separately. So that they weren't coming as a couple. Oh my gosh! Well, I, we were told that we were. My wife and I were told we weren't even supposed to be together because she's Korean and I'm white. Um, so we we got some of that. We'll once in a while we'll get that. Like I've been told my marriage isn't legitimate. Oh. Uh, and it's only by and what's annoying is like it just bothers me because the left and progressives always say that Christians are racist, and actually by and large that's not true. 
Right. But then you get this loud, obnoxious person who's like one out of like a ten hundred thousand people, like just out of oh, yeah, but one person who's like screaming in the back and we're like, shut up, you're making all of us look bad. Stop it. Like, because you're gonna be the example that everyone runs with. It's like I was at the thing and I heard a Christian say this. So Christians believe. I'm like, no, no, he's not one of us. There's no Jew or Gentile <laughs> under, under we're not with that man. Uh anyway, it drives me crazy. Anyhow. So yeah, my view on Ruckman is that he's a piece of garbage i do not i have zero respect for the man not an iota of respect um i think this is your husband he asks where does all of this berean holiness go next he might be asking what the heck when am i getting my wife back i don't know maybe he wants to know what's happening this weekend do you guys have plans (laughs) (laughs) you gonna answer that or Uh, I don't, I don't know what he means either, but, um, but I'm guessing Probably like your next step, like, uh, are you going to keep yeah, doing what you're you doing? Or are you going to, yeah, it's more, um, creating content. We, we need to, so we have right now we do education and support. So our education, um, we have an article archive on BereanHoliness.com. You can go there, look at what my brother, my brother, Nathan is a co-founder. We haven't mentioned him much, but he ended up being what, um, who helped me start Brain Holiness. And he is now, we are now a nonprofit 501c3 uh, public charity, and he's board chairman. So we're still working together in some capacity. Anyways, um, you'll find on the website, there's all these articles cross-examining um, just hyper-fundamentalist <laughs> beliefs. So we have that. And then uh, our YouTube channel needs so much work. So subscribe but don't look at it yet because that that needs some progress but we do have the not a shame podcast that we just wrapped up season one um i would recommend that we get into what's biblical holiness um you know what does healthy faith community look like uh, what does it look like to root our identity in christ so love that we also have um this is kind of where the support and um and of course we have the social media channels the instagram and the facebook uh, and then we also have um, some private forums. Some are more educational focused and some are more support encouragement focused. Um, and then where the support and the education really intersected this year, which was really cool, is we got to host our co-host, our first conference with Amateur Faith Night. And our keynote speakers were the cultish guys from the cultish podcast. Um, so it was so fun to have them there. We had panel discussions, all this cool content. Um, and we are, it's been, it's taken a while cause we're still getting our feet under, under us as a, a nonprofit and oh my goodness, there is so much work that comes with that. But anyways, we are going to release that, um, conference content soon behind a paywall so people can access all the awesome panel discussions testimonies and everything that had to be that got to be in in person this summer um we have done 21 community groups so far which is zoom groups basically six to eight week studies um with up to like 15 people in a group Uh, but it's we are not able to meet the demand for that so we are now working towards creating curriculum with the hope that, you know, churches could even buy our curriculum and then use it to teach people in person in their congregations if this is, if these are issues that have affected them. Um, and we have a lot of plans for the future, but that's our, 
our next steps are just working on, um, basically it's a huge transition to go from, I'm just creating Instagram carousels and writing website articles and making people mad on Facebook. It's a big transition to go from that, doing that as like one or two people to running an organization with paid staff and you need donor development and okay, do we need a physical office? Like there's, there's, there's so much going on right now. Um, but the hope is to, to do a, a lot more, a greater quantity of content, but also a lot better quality. And I'm, I'm going to stop there and not name the stuff that we have in mind. Cause we'll just see, we'll see if it comes to fruition. Then people will know what we had in mind. <laughs> that's better than that's better than us uh we i think brian and i have a lot of we're like oh we're gonna do this we'll announce it the right guy okay, actually didn't work out like we tried doing like a weekly apologetics class uh and stuff and it was just i couldn't meet the demand with my job and everything so i get it um it's a lot yeah. i've actually been asked by friends of ours like hey like are you gonna like start like an actual organization with the church split or are you guys just gonna keep it and i'm like at first i was like yeah and then i'm like i don't know where i'd start with that so uh, i'll pray for you uh, that's my that's my point yeah it's um, a huge leap because you do have to be able to work full-time in order in order to take it where it needs to go there's so much work that comes with it and right course, and a lot of that, a lot of it you need all the the donors and supporters which we've just started as of this fall and i super appreciate it because that is what is taking us to the next step of being able to do annual conferences and books and curriculum and all that good stuff yeah i get it yeah that was that's a lot it's it's the whole like spend money to make money stuff kind of idea say too like i i need money to be able to do this but also i need to do this to get the money so it's just it's difficult um but it's an important ministry especially help people like escape the different cults um linguist also asked what were the takes what were the takes on exodus late versus early if you are a late date are you a are you a heretic or was that a non-issue as long as you thought the exodus actually happened um we would have been like er, er, early like an ifb probably they wouldn't even know what the contention is though but they would be early people right now i'm mox nicks on it probably later but i think the exodus actually happened but yeah i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that but I, I personally, I definitely believe the exodus happened. Um, but our, yeah, our churches wouldn't have even known there was a contention. Yep. Yep. So that's, which is pretty normal. Most people don't know. Most churches don't know a lot about the contentions and scholarship. So it's, it's fine. Um, Jordan Ferry asks if Natalie has read a book on logic. Like, have I ever? Yeah, I don't know. I just, <laughs> Sorry, he, I'm just. I, I think I'm too defensive, and I'm like, is that an insult? Like, he's oh. not being facetious. No, <laughs> no, no, he's not. This is he's, right, he's a good. He's a good dude. He's, he's obsessed with the laws of logic because he's like that. He when he teaches theology, which I actually stole from him too. We start with the laws of logic, so I think he's just asking generally, like, have you read them? Oh, I I totally need to do a lot of refreshing on it. But I had a logic course when I was like 14 when I was homeschooling. My favorite 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 subject of my entire grade school yep. i mean yep. the laws of logic man there that's law of non-contradiction it'll get it gets everybody jordan uh, wants you to read about parmenides and the idea of being and non-being that is true that's all he wants trust me if you knew the guy you'd know how funny that was uh, uh he also asked how does the church secure the pews for people to run the tops <laughs> they have about 16 screws if not 32, because there's two with each bracket. 
Okay, she actually actually had an answer for that. That makes me concerned. That comment almost killed me, actually. Uh, all right uh your husband again it looks like how to bust both hyper fundamentalism and progressivism expose it to the light of the of truth and often simply publicly share what these movements and themselves are saying <laughs> examples lips of tiktok anyone dude lips of tiktok is with the greatest all right sorry and then uh one random other question here uh patrick barnes asks if there's any orthodox here yes that's what that cross symbol is um actually i don't think is anyone here eastern orthodox uh, Natalie, you're not. Okay. Uh, I was like, you can ask Brian that close. Like I was getting close. There is a, some things I couldn't get. Like there's like two issues I couldn't get past, which is a discussion for another time. Like why I, maybe we should do a video on that. Why I did not convert to orthodoxy. But I will say I got with Father uh, Father Joshua a few times. Uh, I've read a lot of the books. I mean, I was, I was in man, but there's some things I couldn't get past, which means I don't think I could join the Orthodox church in good conscience because I, I, when you join the Orthodox Church, you also are submitting to some of those things, like saying, I agree with these things, like a doctrinal statement would. And I'm not going to sit there and you know, run them through that if I actually have issues with some of those teachings. So uh, friendly with them. I am extremely friendly, and they are so right on the atonement. Team Chris is Victor. All right, uh, which, of course, my book, I'm still working on my book on that topic. So, But I'm hoping it will be coming out. Have I you, have actually, what? Have you published any books yet? No, it'll be my first book. Okay. Awesome. Um, yep. It'll be my first book on the atonement. Uh, and it's, uh, I actually have, uh, if anyone's familiar with the channel expedition 44, I have Dr. Matt Muzakis looking over it right now and he's helping me with making some notes and giving me some extra things. So I, do, I have to go in there and augment some stuff, but I was relieved when he was like, dude, this is great. And I was like, Oh, okay. This makes me so much, so much happier now because uh, I do not consider myself a talented writer. So it was, it was really nice to hear from somebody who's like, I, Oh, I would word it this way. And like critiques me in small areas. That I'm t totally down with, but it was just nice that somebody of his caliber is willing to look over it. He's doing all that pro bono and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it, but yes, they, the, the Orthodox, I do believe are correct on the atonement. So Patrick Barnes, I'm with you, man, in spirit. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, real quick, uh, if we, I don't see any other questions that popped in, if you want me to make sure you see one, throw it in a super chat. Uh, but otherwise, super chats always get recognized. They're going to throw money at me. You'll at least get the question. Although I'm waiting, I, I am waiting for somebody to ask something su super inappropriate and be like, "Boom, now what?" And don't I'd probably that idea. Dude, it you know Facebook I, it, does does also filter those out automatically. So oh okay, well that's helpful. Um, all right, so Natalie, real quick, we always ask all our guests this: How can you help unite a divided body? Yeah, so I love this question, especially because one of the number one accusations against the Brian Holiness Ministry is you're so divisive and we're just so we you're just you're just so divisive basically um but it's really ironic because i started berean holiness originally uh, for the purpose of unity believe it or not um and that was because it really grieved me not only personally because i lost so much personally um by being cut off from fellowship but it also grieved me that we seriously disfellowship over, I think in my heart that it's not wrong to wear a wedding ring and makeup. Um, 
and that bothered me. And it also bothered me that people that I really loved and cared about saw me as lost over these issues when it was genuinely the Bible that had convinced me to change my position. So um, I originally started sharing my studies on the Brian Holiness website and having my brother also share his because I wanted to help people understand that we came to our conclusions through the scripture. And I thought if people just could understand that, if my friends uh, and loved ones could just see that it was scripture that changed my mind, then even if they are not convinced by the same arguments that I were, at least they will say, oh, okay, I see that you're not throwing out the black back book as I was accused of, but you you are legitimately just embracing a, a different interpretation that's valid. It's not, you know, some extreme, well, maybe the Bible doesn't mean what it says, but it's, it's, it's another valid interpretation. And that's all I wanted. Um, and even with Brian Holiness, we have to reiterate again and again and again, we are not trying to change someone's personal conviction or personal standard. If you want to wear skirts, I then I should respect that as much as I want you to respect that sometimes I wear women's pants. So we are not trying to change people in that way. We're not trying to um, conform everyone. And I, you know, I don't, <laughs> though there have been some uh, misunderstandings, I do not pastor a church. And Berean Holiness is not a denomination or church movement, and it never will be. Um, it is merely a nonprofit parachurch ministry, and our goal is to help people disentangle faith and get into healthy churches, no matter what the label on the door might say. Even if it's holiness, I mean, if it's truly Bible-based, then awesome. Um, but anyways, the point being, there should be fellowship. I should be able to say, you know, I I apply the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 22.5 in particular one way. And I respect that you apply it differently for your life, but we can still be in the same congregation. Um, my brother points out when it comes to Romans 14, Paul did not say one church observes the extra holidays and another church does not. He said individuals and they were in the same congregation. And that's just mind blowing to us. Well, we should be able to sit side by side and one sister, you know, if she decides she doesn't want to wear makeup, She's not wearing makeup and the next person is doing so. And that should be fine. We should be able to do that. Same with um, other secondary issues. Um, yeah, goodness. Um, I almost went on a Calvinism rant because I'm kind of mad that some churches require you to believe that to be part of their congregation. And that really irritates me. But anyways, but yes, we should be able to unite in secondaries and worship together and at, at bare minimum do outreach together, reach our communities together. Uh, even if we don't attend the same worship services, still be able to recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But hyper fundamentalists are not able to do that for a few reasons. Um, but it especially goes back to the one true church doctrine. And then it goes back to making the extra biblical requirements, enforcing that such that you're saying all believers have to do this um, and not giving liberty where scripture gives liberty. And because of that, they have, it's funny, it's, this is not about, brand holiness would not exist except for hyper-fundamentalism attacks the rest of the body of Christ, right? Because they are isolating themselves from the rest of the body of Christ. They are dividing themselves from not only mainstream Christianity today, 
Um, but also the historic Christian faith, because believe it or not, the church has not always taught that, um, you know, it's a sin to wear jewelry. Um, and so they're the ones that have divided themselves and they're out there on an island that I can see the ocean rising and they're going to be swept away and swept off into much worse heresies and even dire, more dire cult-like behavior. And so I'd love to see them come over and unite with the body of Christ, um, but they can't do that until they see through their cultish behavior, which is like the one true church idea and authoritarianism. And they can see through um, the idea that, you know, their standards are salvation requirements. So we have to break down those barriers so the church can unite. Ah, that, that right there was the best tangent I've heard in a long time. It's absolutely true. Uh, they're separatists and they're the separatists, not us. So when people say like we started the church split, I mean, our tagline is the church split uniting a divided body. And the whole point was originally to do that. And what I started realizing was that uh, kind of so Dr. David Wood talks about this um, when he reaches Muslims. And when he would go and debate Muslims, he first would do like the full, all right, here's my introductory statement. I'm going to steal, man, their arguments. I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, precise and like kind and make sure I'm cordial, but disagree. And he would hear after the debates, the Muslims would always just go like, yeah, we kick their butt because the Muslim guy would just like yell and rant and rave and be obnoxious. And he was like, are you serious? Like, I demolished those arguments. This makes no sense. And uh, until he realized that part in that world was you had to, like, match intensity. Intensity had to come in. And if you weren't using rhetoric and intensity, they didn't think that you were really speaking the truth. So then he switched his tactics to what David, Dr. David Wood does now, which a lot of people – take issue with how he approaches it now. But he's like, I did that because once I started doing this, people were like, oh my goodness, he's destroying our religion, da 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 He'd get messages of people were like converting from uh, Islam over uh, back into like into Christianity. You have uh, Nabil Qureshi before he passed, who was the guy he like helped convert and exactly. like all these other people. And it's like, so it was funny because I think when you get to our early stuff, it's really funny because Brian and I were like very, just like trying that same methodology, like just, kind and like less challenging and more just yeah it's all right we all have this conversation where we disagree but it was but it wasn't until we started displaying like no here's where it is like this what here's what's what was happening and spoke plainly that we started actually seeing like it kind of shake people awake a little bit and i think sometimes it's necessary it's not like you're being divisive it's just you're being open and honest about it and they're the ones who have divided from you um, my sister and brother-in-law were missionaries uh, in the IFB for a long time, for years after I'd left. And once they started changing their positions, like, well, we could just keep working. And I told them, I was like, just so you know, you might be willing to work in unity with the IFB, but they are not willing to work in unity with you. 100%. And, and I warned them. And of course, it all, you know, then things happened. And then same thing with our, our friend Vincent, who was on there, on here. I told him the same thing. And every every single person I've told that to, who really, and I get it, because you want to keep your relationships, you want to keep those things. But bottom line is, it's going to cost you. And it, it just will. And uh, they're the ones who have divided. That's why we even lock arms with people like, we have Torah observers that are friends, are friends of the channel. And I'm like, when you're talking about wearing skirts, not wearing skirts, I'm over here like, who cares if he eats kosher and I don't? 
Like, who cares if he observes Sabbath on Saturday instead of Sunday? I don't care. That's mm-hmm. his liberty to do so. And you know what? He's rather in his mind is like, look, I see where some texts come from on some of this and some of that. For me, like I have friends who are like, it was a little too gray for me. And so I just chose to err on the side of caution. And I'm like, I, I can respect that. Like, and I should be able to. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I love what you said. Um, so, and uh, yeah, and Bob, you're not wrong. He said, well, the problem is what is deemed primary, secondary, example, PSA, which is penal substitutionary atonement. And I agree. Uh, actually, but I agree with, I, I'm glad that somebody called me a heretic for not holding to PSA because it's what spurred me along enough to start writing a book. So anyway, um, anyhow. Uh, as Stephen Ray said, agree to disagree is a foreign concept in the IFB, and you are not wrong, my friend. Uh, and that's coming, that's coming from a guy who, who was very entrenched. Trust me, Stephen's a great guy. Uh, but anyway, he used to teach at, uh, at a college, at an IFB college. Um, anyway. Yeah, it's but, still good even, to your point, Will, it's still good to even try. Like, you don't go, well, they're not working with me, so bye. Like, you should still at least try and go, okay, I'm here to be friendly. And that's what we're trying to develop is that mental toughness is that you can handle someone disagreeing with you and you can have the mental toughness and a surety, just go to scripture and then go, I disagree and go, okay, you want to get lunch? Like we can still be friends, right? Let them be the ones that are breaking that fellowship. Yeah. And I understand why for some people, they don't feel like they're able to do that emotionally, but if you're in a place where you can, awesome, go for it. And that's what I totally did. And I would try, I really, like I said, I really did care about the holiness movement and I do care. It looks a little different. Um, But at the time I still wanted to fellowship them. And so I would try to go to their young adult event or, and I would drive like 10 hours one way to do this, by the way, um, or try to go to a camp meeting. And then I would become the target of the whole camp meeting. And I know that sounds like egotistical as someone told me, but no, literally I've had holiness people who I was not, you know, they were just in the service with me and they come up to me after their service and they're, they were just like, wow, I can't believe you were the target of the whole message. Cause it was so obvious to the point about I'm talking about an individual that's in this crowd and everyone knew. So that happened to me so many times, different states, different churches that I finally got the memo, like bummer, <laughs> like I can't even, and it's not like I was trying to proselytize. I was literally going there to see friends. And just because some of that um, style of worship is still nostalgic to me and I still like it, um, but I can't go back. And, and it's, it was a hundred percent them cutting me off and saying, you are not welcome to come on our grounds or our territory. And that's sad. Um, but it, 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 I'm so glad I did it because it, it taught me a lot. Well, also like for me, when I did that, uh, and how court, like it allowed me the opportunity when some people started having questions and struggling where I, they knew that there was an open door still with me mm-hmm. and which is, is important to do that. If you're able to, I know some people are in worse situations than others. So obviously we can't broad brush. Um, uh, but I did want to point out that Steve Brudnick, we'd mentioned him in this live stream. I don't know if he was here, but He's now in the chat right there. He's like, I could agree to disagree, and I'm IFB. Like, that's a rarity, Steve, and I love the fact that you're able to do that. Um, and I, I want that change to happen from within. And uh, <laughs> he goes, I'm okay with others being wrong. He means I, I say that all the time, too. I'm okay with you being wrong, Steve. I still love you. Um, but anyway, uh, it, it, is a, it is an important thing uh, to learn how to do that. And it's part of uh, spiritual uh, maturity. 
And I, sorry, now the live chat's exploding uh, here toward where I'm trying to wrap it up. Um, and yes, uh, that story of Elena, uh, Elena with Calvinism, also true. That's a crazy story in and of itself. But I'm going to quickly get Justin in here. Then I'm going to close up shop, okay? Because Justin Baldwin is fantastic. And we're going to have him on the channel when he's done finishing his album, which he should be working on instead of watching the stream. <laughs> um, <laughs> Justin was raised Pentecostal. And so he was really excited when he found out that we were kind of doing this little, like, we're doing this little connection in the pentecostal world and to the pentecostal holiness stuff and he's a he's a great musician he does good stuff great uh heart for the lord literally like i'm i keep telling him he's going places because i legitimately think he is um I, he's he's fantastic so anyway um all right uh with that said natalie thank you so much for your time do you have where can people uh, find you like where can they find some of your your material uh, BereanHoliness.com. Berean is spelled B-E-R-E-A-N. Holiness.com. All right. BereanHoliness.com. And Natalie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your ministry. I know you're helping uh, hundreds of people out there. I just want to encourage you to keep fighting the good fight. I know it can be very difficult. Um, and the... Uh, I can't right now with this live chat. Sorry, I'm trying to stay on track, but your husband complimenting our Lego models and our backgrounds. I just... Go check out his channel. Uh, oh, it's brick. It's brick replicas. He is, he is a world class Lego builder, and I'm not lying. Go look that, at his website. I'll, I'll go. I'll go right after the stream. Brick replicas. I'm here for it. So anyway, it go check his Lego stuff out too. That makes sense. That makes um, so much sense. The one last thing I wanted to say was just, um, and I'll read it in the King James for anyone that is is King James preferred or otherwise um but isaiah 520 says woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and that put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter when you say things that are from scripture that god is saying this is good and you're saying that's sin that's against the bible you are out of the church you're a heretic you are a proselyte you are you are no longer christian you are calling good evil so woe unto you. Those those are the words of God. So be careful about you what you do. That's why that's why James says that maybe not all of you should be preachers because you gotta be careful with what you say. Um, so just be careful with what you're promoting. And you know, kudos to Natalie for um, for having such introspection when she was studying scripture and going, I don't know that these things are in here. Let me keep let me keep trying to refute my brother and show him that he's wrong. And then when she finds out that he's right. And she decides to bring it up and goes, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but she was still trying. So I, I think it's just a good standard for all of us to go, okay, well, what is, what does scripture actually say about it? And if scripture is calling it good, do not call it evil. Well, on to you. Yep. Uh, 100%. I, yeah. And that's why I think it's important that, um, people hear this, these sorts of, they, they need to be challenged in this way. Uh, same way we were all challenged, right? So um, anyway, with that said, guys, I really appreciate all of you uh, being here for the stream. And I appreciate all your guys' questions and your guys' various encouragements to all of us involved. And uh, I just hope you guys keep making an impact where you're able to make an impact. Help those who need to be helped be a light for the gospel and a light for Jesus Christ to those in your life and do all that. So guys, with all that said, uh, We'll see you next time on The Church Split. So take care and God bless.
And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong, we gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also want to thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about yes. y'all, but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. Yes, I did. Yes, yes sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi, guys. My name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video contents a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.